Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lux Files. I'm Sean, your host. And with me, I have author, artist, occult detective, my good friend, Bob Freeman. Hello, Bob. Hello, Sean. It's so great to be with you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to have you. How's everything going? It's going well. Um, yeah, it's uh, out here in the haunted Hoosier heartland, you know, so uh, it's always exciting. So I envy you where you live. I really do. I, I like the Midwest. I've traveled more in the States than I have. in Can Everyone probably by now knows that I'm Canadian and I live in Canada, but I've right. traveled more in the States than I have in Canada. And I used to actually live in the States. I lived in Houston and, and Austin in, in Texas. Um, but I love the Midwest. I love the Midwest. Um, there's something, you know, you call it the haunted Hoosier land, like you're, you're um, the area you live in. But, you know, the Midwest, I find it's a, it's a different place. There's a different energy. I don't know what it is about the Midwest, but there's just that, um, that magical earth energy atmosphere about the Midwest, which makes it um, makes it less boring than cornfields. Right, right. Yeah, they, they always make that analogy, you know, that, you know, that's that the Indiana in particular is nothing but corn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, like the old commercial that you've probably seen a million times, there is more than corn in Indiana. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, no, I just like, you know, I like the Midwest. I like, um, it's it just, it's a different place. It really is a, a different place. And I like, um, you know, the the idea of living in a small town, but not being so isolated. Like, you know, there's this small town here and, you know, just a quick drive there and da 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 da, da. We're like up here, you know, me being in Thunder Bay, like, it's just so isolated. You can't drive just in any direction and hit another little town. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. I do, yes. Yeah, and, then, and we're we're just sprinkled with little towns. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the nice place about where I live is, you know, that there there's a story everywhere you go. There's right. an investigation just waiting to be had. Um, it's a paranormal hotspot, really. So. It's why I think, you know, like Michelle in Ohio probably has the same thing. And uh, the New Kirks living down in Kentucky now and hell your country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's the same. It's the same vibe that we have here. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting you you bringing up Hellier because I, you know, Hellier, it was such a fascinating documentary. And it's really made me rethink so much of my opinions and beliefs or lack of beliefs on certain things. Um, but listen to them i think it was actually it was i just watched uh season one for the millionth time again today and i think it was dana that in one of the episodes was talking about just the 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 feel of the place and the energy and, and whatnot in the appalachian mountains and yeah. that place i i the best i've kind of described it as like it, it still has almost like um uh, a primordial feel to it you know it's like the energies that created the planet like those violent um um like inhuman energies that that created the planet you know they're still you know kind of lingering where they're not they're not good or bad good or evil benevolent 
um, malevolent. They're just, you know, I mean, a, a, a force that can create a planet like is, is creative, but it's also so destructive and impersonal. And it has <laughs> that kind of that real primordial vibe to that area. It's uh, it's quite the place. Um, and yeah. it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Like, you know, don't, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's never been to the Appalachians, you've never been there, but you, you, you have those stereotypes of the people. Um, it's, you know, I mean, there's, you know, some anyways, um, it's still, it's beautiful, uh, country to, to travel, to explore. And it's, it's an interesting place. So check out Appalachia. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Everywhere you turn, there's something special to see. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you are like born and raised in the area you live in or ish. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. That's that. Yeah. It, most definitely. The the place I live right now is a half mile from where I was born. Mm. So, I mean, I lived briefly in Boston. I lived briefly out in the desert Southwest, but I'd say live. I was out there for a little over six months living on Indian reservations. Um, so, but so other than that, um, I've been here and the brief right. time I was in college. So um, I'm very connected to the land here. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a moment when I had a kind of a spiritual awakening and this would have been in 1988, I think. And I had what I could only describe as like a, a visitation by an entity beyond this realm. Right. And it told me that as, as the world progressed, I needed to stay here and it was at a time when i was thinking about possibly moving away okay how old were you let's see in 88 i would have been about 21 22 okay okay yep and it it said stay here you you need to be here and uh i've never regretted that that decision and and always took that that uh moment to heart now Right, right To be perfectly honest, I was under the influence uh, of some powerful psychedelics. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, take that as you may. So. Hey, you know, I'm recently learning, not by personal experience, but I'm recently learning about the value of entheogens in, you know, spiritual um, practice and, and development and whatnot. So um, I think there's there's more to it than just oh i was tripping and it was just a hallucination exactly what what it does is it it opens up certain pathways mm-hmm. um that are typically closed um that you can access through intense um meditation yeah uh, but it, it's a it's a wonderful shortcut yeah um, that, that puts you right in the heart of of uh, a spiritual awakening uh, an experience. Of, yeah. 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 I, mean, I was, I was a, in my I youth, I was definitely a proponent of it. So, uh, I don't even smoke pot. So, I mean, like I, I just, I have no real concept <clears throat> of, of that, you know, but just yeah. conversations with, with my friend Frater RC, um, I I'm beginning to, to learn more and learn it, you know, uh, appreciate its potential value, uh, for yeah, something. I, 
yeah, I quit exploring those avenues when my son was born. Right. Uh, just because <clears throat> I, I, I didn't want to be, you know, like if, if you experience like, uh, say psilocybin or LSD, you're, that's a, that's an eight hour, you know, span of time that you are unavailable to anyone else. So I never wanted to be in a position where I would be needed and not be able to, you know, to, yeah. uh, to be there for someone. So. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Now yeah. that, that experience was that wouldn't have been like your first, like aha spiritual or, or magical um, moment. No, no, no. In fact, I, I got it involved in the occult very young. Um, when, in, in fact, I, I was eight years old when, when my journey really started. Um, you, prior to that, I'd been, I'd been raised by parents that were, they were both born in Arkansas. Mm. And they actually met up here uh, in this area, however. But they, they lived like 20 minutes from each other in Arkansas and never met. They moved up here as like kind of preteens. And my father went to work with my mother's uh, father on the farm. And so he was, she was like the stereotypical farmer's daughter. And I was the product of that. So I was, I was raised on a horse farm. Right. By a bunch of transplanted Arkansas folk. And they had all these just glorious folk tales from the Ozarks that they would sit there and tell me as a little kid. And I was just fascinated with that sort of stuff. And my father was really into horror movies and stuff like that. So, you know, I spent long nights watching those kind of things. And it really, it shaped me. Um, and then, <clears throat> like I said, when, when I was eight, um, I was staying at my uh, paternal grandparents' house. And they had a two-story, maybe 150-year-old home. Uh, and I was upstairs kind of rooting around through some old trunks and I found some things that had belonged to my great grandmother. And it, there was like astrological charts and stuff. You know, she had like a diary where she was tracking uh, the seasons for planting and all this stuff using astrology. Right. And she had a book in there um, called Unseen Forces um, that was written by mainly Palmer Hall. And this book was all about uh, elementals, uh, the dweller at the threshold. And I'm reading this and I, I was like, uh, I was like, wait, th th this is real. You know, there, you know, this isn't some fairy tale story. This, this guy is explaining creatures that really exist. And, you know, I was already, I'd already seen the exorcist. I, you know, I'd already, you know, I'd, I'd been watching the Night Stalker on, on a TV. So, so I was interested in those type of things already. And so this book kind of cemented for me that this stuff was real. So I guess to make a, a long story short, I, I lived on this horse farm and a quarter mile from our house was a graveyard that was reported reputed to be haunted and it had a great story behind it 
Um, and th these are stories that, that my parents told me and I heard from other people around town, farmhands and such. Um, a cemetery, which is, was just off of Little Pipe Creek, maybe 100 uh, tombstones in it, a big oak tree right in the center of the graveyard. And there was a fence around it with a gate. And whenever a girl would walk towards the gate, the gate would open. And she would be able to walk through. If a man tried to walk through, the gate would open. And then as he passed, it would swing and hit him. Wow. So that was, you know, I, I, oh, I got I to see this. Now, they had removed the gate because people had been getting hurt. Okay. But, so, but there's the graveyard. <clears throat> so, let's see, just to explain it a little bit. We, we lived in two trailers on the edge of my grandparents' farm. And my brother and I had one trailer to ourselves. And my parents lived in the other trailer. So I was, like I said, eight. So my brother would have been about four. And I had a, the door in my bedroom led to the outside. So I would just wait until everybody was in bed. I would sneak out at night, <laughs> make my way up the road to that graveyard and climb up in that oak tree and sit there and wait for something to happen. And <clears throat> one night it did, I saw a full bodied apparition materialized next to these old stones in the back corner and it moved across the grass towards me and of course you know I was I was terrified and ecstatic all at the same time and uh yeah so that was probably that was the moment for me that was that yes okay the, these things I've been reading about they're all real so um that set me on a lifelong course of you know, investigating the paranormal, uh, exploring the occult and in whatever way I could. I was lucky enough that um, our little small town library, a Carnegie library, thank goodness, um, it had a pretty good occult section uh, for such a very um, Bible Belt oriented town. Right. Uh, of course, this is the 70s, right? When all that stuff was just blowing up. So they had books by Sybil Leake. They had uh, books by Gerald Gardner, uh, Richard Cavendish. Um, so I'm reading all this stuff too. And, and it just really was adding to my personal mythology. And about that time is when I read a book <clears throat> called The Children of Odin by Padraic Colum. And um, all about the, the Norse, you know, folk tales. Um, and I really took to that, um, especially when it was explaining how it was the religion of my ancestors. Um, and I, I had never taken to the Christianity of my parents and grandparents, even though I was drug off to a Campbellite church, you know, all throughout my childhood. Did you say Campbellite? Um, uh, Campbellite. Uh, yeah, C Campbell. It was an offshoot of Calvinism. Okay. Uh, Calvinism, okay. yeah, so. So they were very strict. Um, uh, like, uh, for instance, women weren't allowed to wear pants. Uh, women weren't allowed to cut their hair. Um, you were not allowed to have instrumental music in church. You only sing with your voice. Uh, full immersion, baptisms, the whole nine yards. Okay. Oddly enough, they did not believe in 
premillennialism, right? So no antichrist. You know, that was the fun part of, you know, Christianity, you know, and here these guys were like, no, that's none of that's real. Yeah. Revelations is the best part of the Bible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So, but yeah, so, so I converted to uh, uh, the Norse faith at a very young age and uh, yeah, then I discovered Hans Holzer on uh, In Search Of. And that's that sent me even deeper down the uh, the ghost hunting path. And I eventually formed my first ghost hunting group. Well, my second one, really, in 1983. The first one I formed in elementary school, we were called the Monster Club. And uh, we prowled around abandoned houses and graveyards all over the place as kids. Sort of like the, well, like when uh, Stranger Things first came out. You know, somebody commented, man, I bet this is exactly what Bob Freeman's childhood was like. Oh, they weren't too far, right. they weren't too far yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of kids playing D&D and uh, then going out looking for monsters. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good childhood. That's funny. You know, what's really funny listening to you tell this particular uh, part um, is because um, I, I just... Uh, had uh michelle last night and talking about their childhood and growing up in you know rural ohio and how um how the the school library for such a small conservative town was was rich in occult books and they named the the same authors you did and they (laughs) had they had their elementary age um uh, ghost hunting group you know what I mean right like, yeah it, it, there's like the parallels between your story and Michelle's story right now are it's it just it's interesting to it's interesting to hear the 70s sound like they were pretty awesome because they, you know, yeah. we, we got into the whole satanic panic thing of the 80s and the 90s um yeah. uh that that conversation and how that you know really changed things but yeah the 70s sound kind of funny just for the record I know nothing about the 70s. Don't let the gray hair fool you. It was <laughs> 78. Right, right. Um, yeah, okay. So yeah, you, you look at the 70s, right? And it, it was just tailor-made for occultists because, yeah. right? So like I was into comic books, right? So what comic books were I reading? Uh, uh, the Son of Satan, Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, right? And they were all very heavy occult themes. Doctor Strange, um, and then the movies, of course, you had all the, you know, the Omen, the Exorcist, all those great films. Right. Um, and, and if you went to the drive-in, right, like the first time I saw The Devil Rides Out, oh, it was like, yeah, hey, Christopher Lee, you are, you are living my dream life. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that, so all that, those sorts of things. Uh, the 70s were just, you know, an amazing time. Yeah, so. And I, and I was a child through it, you know, so it was very influential. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you got to see real witches on TV. You know, you turn into tune into uh, like Mike Douglas and Sybil Leak would be on there and she'd be telling you how to cast a spell. Right. Right. And, right. and she was she, I mean, she was she was fantastic. I mean, just, you know, very personable. And 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 she, of course, you know, she looked like a witch. Right. You know, so, um, and then, of course, Lori Cabot was was big uh, then. So, like, my mother bought 
you know, like National Enquirer or those kind of weird weekly news papers. And so she was always in there. And uh, so it was just always, always witchy things going on. And Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That really is. Yeah. So you, so you kind of, um, well, I don't want to say converted, but you, you kind of took on the Norse pagan path. I did. Yes. And, and the thing about that is, is there, there were, there were no books on that. Right. right. So you had no way, you, no, no knowledge of how to worship the gods then. Right. Um, so you just had to kind of go by intuition. And of course, you know, being, being so young, basically what I did was you took what was going on in witchcraft mm-hmm. and just kind of converted the, the deities, you know? So, um, you know, you had to have a God and a goddess. So for me as a child, it was Thor and Sith. All right. And that, and that just made sense. And, uh, I would eventually, you know, convert over, over to Odin, um, you know, later in life, but, uh, but in those early days, that's kind of the way I worked it. And I did the same thing once I got involved with the golden dawn stuff. Um, you know, I stripped away a lot of the Egyptian stuff and, you know, converted it to the appropriate Norse deities and reworked all the rituals, um, to, to fit my path more. Of course, you know, you had to work them as written at first, just to figure out how to, how to re rework right. them. So, yeah. Now you did the, like your golden dawn stuff. Like you didn't, um, you didn't join a golden dawn order. Like this was, I, I didn't, there was, there wasn't anything like that around here. Um, when, when I went to college, uh, I went to uh, ball state in Muncie and I joined for a brief time uh, a Wiccan coven uh, that was uh, had a direct link to Maxine Sanders. Okay. Right? So, so that was kind of, you know, the, the only group workings I, I really dealt with, but we had a, like a little, uh, a little magic group that met and there were a couple of chaos magicians, uh, Thelemite, uh, um, you know, and, and just a little hodgepodge of people that would get together and, and discuss philosophies and, you know, and of course, sit around, and get high and talk about rituals and, you know, what worked for them, what worked for, you know, the other person. Um, we were really big. I used to read tarot cards in the local uh, cult bookstore for uh, drinking money. And uh, so <clears throat> our, our big thing then was to do... Um, uh astral projection into the card so we would right. you know, perform a little ritual set a card up and then we would enter the realm of the card and you know and and, and figure that kind of stuff out so those were those were great great times back then so. did you learn that from a book or anything like that i think it was uh might have been denning and phillips okay maybe yeah are you familiar with them yeah, they yeah. Wrote, I, like the foundations of high magic and uh, yeah, uh, I have oh, some of their their work. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really into them in the eighties. 
Um, the reason why I'm asking is when I was a teenager and I bought my first tarot deck and my first tarot deck was the um, Rider Waite. No, yeah. it was the, the, the um, was it the Rider Waite or was it my Thoth deck? Mm. I can't remember. So I, uh, I remember when I got my Rider Waite tarot, I think maybe it, that was actually my second tarot deck. Um, you know, just being so um transfixed with with the imagery that I started um like doing like a like a meditation like just like looking at a card and then going into the the scene and yeah. what what would what would it be like if I if I projected myself into that scene that's presented in the card what would happen what would be the experience and then i learned like that's like a like a like a like a golden dawn thing that they do yeah I, i'm pretty sure that when i read it through denning and phillips that that's you know because that, that's basically what they were doing was aping golden dawn stuff yeah, so yeah yeah well that's interesting no that's just the yeah, reason that, why I asked, just to see how you, you talk yeah with that. you talk about the deck i mean pixie's artwork is just it's fantastic. I, I, I just love that deck so much. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's, it's the most common it's everywhere, but I mean, it's really is perfect. And I say that because I've got probably 30 decks laying around this room. Um, uh, and I love, I love all of them, but, uh, yeah. but you always go back to that, you know, the writer weight deck. Yeah, no, that's true. I I have um uh the Cicero's uh Golden Dawn Ritual Tarot, which I really, really, really love um yeah. a lot, and I I tend to use that the most. And then I picked up uh Rachel True's Intuitive Tarot. And, yeah, how about that? Oh my God, it 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 makes tarot reading almost like like it's the most common thing that anyone can do like you can give the deck to an eight-year-old and they're an expert tarot reader i find my readings with her deck are just effortless and flawless and so like the 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 answers and the interpretations are so in your face not in an aggressive way but just in a really plainly obvious way it's a really 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 great deck to work with it's such a great deck to work with yeah it's on my it's definitely on my list you know it's uh, it's good I, I i quite quite like it but i tend to work most with my my golden dawn tarot and uh, your deck um i i use mainly just for um personal work i find i find for um for not personal like oh like um like if i if i want to give myself uh, a tarot reading but more more personal work uh, right. i i find your deck for that to be just perfect perfect thank you, thank you. i so, was really i was really proud of that deck and yeah, you I'm, should I'm be, you... i really really like it i really like it it really it's like the 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 uh the thought that that it really gets inside you and in in ways that may be a little uncomfortable for you um you know but you know sometimes you have to 
peek into those dark corners of yourself. And I find your deck is really good, really good for that. Yeah. Thank you. Like, yeah, I'm glad I picked that up when I did. Um, God, that was how long ago? That was quite a while ago. Yeah, I would bet four or five years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad I snapped that up. I'm, yeah, I, I, I was really touched, very honored that you did so. Yeah. And it was, I, I, I left it up for a year. I sold, I sold decks for a year and, and then, and then pulled it. So very limited edition. You know, well, so. no, I love it. When, when I, I found that out, I'm like, that great. Like that works for me because it's, it's limited. And uh, when I'm, you know, uh, 40 years from now, um, you know, I might have a, a precious gem in, on my hands. Yeah. And well, yeah, it'll be worth even more because 40 years from now, I won't be here. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it'll have a little more cachet. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, where were we? We were kind of like your college years, right? Oh, oh we, yeah. Well, actually, we, we got up to 1983, I think, and then I, I got diverged. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was going to like, yeah, that's. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that. Yeah, that's when uh, I formed the the Night Stalkers, right? So uh, took the name from the old Carl Kolschak show and uh, put together a, a little investigation team. And it was kind of born out of. Well, you you sort of you've read it, okay? So I, I kind of used part of the scenes for, in my novel Descendant, mm. um, which. I guess to briefly talk about my writing, most of the stuff in there is based on real experiences, right? You kind of, you know, throw a little Doctor Strange flair into it, but but yeah, it's, it, it, a lot of that stuff is is cut from real life. Yeah. Um, but the the incident, you know, that I'm referring to was we had decided to do a ritual from the dreaded Necronomicon, right? So in 83, I would have been maybe 16, 17. Right. Thereabouts. So there were about 20 of us that went out to this great location out near the Mississippi River, a little place called Goose Creek. And there was, a, <clears throat> okay, I guess to explain this properly, I got to tell you a little bit about the Mississippi. All right. So the Mississippi is a sacred river that cuts across the area that I live in. And the Army Corps of Engineers and their infinite wisdom came in and flooded the town of Somerset and made a reservoir. So every fall, the water is drained out of it leaving behind the wreckage and ruins of what spent most of the time underneath a lake. Mm -hmm. So there's this road that goes back and down and once had been a bridge crossing this uh, wide Creek. Now the bridge is long gone. It's just a ruined road, normally underwater. So we go out there one evening and we're going to perform this ritual. It is a completely overcast night. It was the night of a full moon, but you, you could see no moon at all. We park at the top of the, the hill, 
begin walking down. And as soon as we get to the bottom where the stretch of road is, the clouds part and somebody says, oh my God, there's a pentagram around the moon. And you look up and yes, there's a five point star where the clouds have opened up around the moon and everybody's freaking out. And we're, we're, we're seeing this scene where all these dead trees are reaching up out of the water, you know, kind of stretching like spindly fingers towards the sky. And um, on the road where we're going to make our magic circles are thousands of dead fish. Somebody else makes the comment, wow, isn't, isn't the fish the symbol of Jesus? And so everybody, you know, again, everybody's amped up and freaking out. Uh, so we begin, we, we form uh, three magic circles. And me and two of my colleagues are in one. And my friend is doing an incantation, the watcher. And he fouls it up. He trips over some words. And he becomes possessed by some unknown spirit, uh, begins ranting and raving, frothing, speaking in strange tongues that, you know, we couldn't recognize. Of course, we're all teenagers. Yeah. Um, all the people that are in the protective circle are, are just, they're, they're beside themselves. And me and this individual begin having a conversation. And we're walking on opposite sides of each other around this circle of our friends, you know, and um, I'm, on, I'm on one side. He's completely opposite. And this girl, as I'm passing by, she, she reaches over and she whispers, oh, my God. And he, from the other side, no way he could have heard that. And he says, your God, can I help you now? You know, it's like, they're all, and they're, again, they're screaming. And we keep moving around and having this debate, this philosophical debate. And then as passing around again, there's a guy there and he's, and he, he's holding a kind of like a nightclub uh, and he drops it and it rolls across the circle and he reaches down and he picks it up. And, uh, and he goes, oh, I brought the circle. And he's like, just stay calm, stay calm, right? And we move around and all of a sudden, you know, that guy says, the, you know, the, the circle's protection is no more. And he jumps into the circle. Everybody screams. Everybody runs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, um, yeah, it, it, and it just got stranger from there. So, um, yeah, that was, that was, you know, like I said, 1983, the height of the satanic panic. Yeah. You, um, so you we, were about that story on your blog, didn't you? I have, yeah. Okay, right, okay. Because yeah. I, well, first of all, I feel like I know this area that you're talking about so well, just because of your right. stories on your blog and, of course, in your books, which I love. Uh, so you just, you, you just really build that that area, and you really make it come alive. And uh, yeah, I quite like it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's, it was weird because, uh, like, a couple days later, I went to the Converse Library 
and they had this thing where you could go up and, and put books in through a little slot and then you could go through that box and it'd be like a bring one, take one kind of thing. Right. And I'm there and I'm looking in this box and the book, the Necronomicon, right? Here it is. Same book. Yeah. <clears throat> it's even got dried blood inside of it. Oh, God. All right. So <laughs> they, that's from the fish, right? But so this book, who my friend had had that night that he recited it from, he took this and he hurled it out into the water. And this book was laying in that box at the Converse Library. And it is the exact, it's that, it's that book. There's no way it could have gotten there. Yeah. Right. He, he hurled this out away. And a couple days later, there it was the same book. It's got his name in it. Oh, got the dried blood in it. It's his book. Wow. And yeah. So, and, and, you know, to bring the, so we go back to school and of course, the people that were spectators there were telling everybody right. about what happened. So by the end of the day, we were sacrificing children. Of course. Right? It, yeah. it had blown up into this big, nasty thing. So that week, I was supposed to be induct, inducted into the National Honor Society. And the day of the induction, I get called to the principal's office. And I'm informed that, well, you know, word has come to us about uh, certain events. Uh, and so uh, we don't think that you are of uh, moral standing to be inducted into the, the honor society. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me, right? And so luckily I had a couple of teachers that came down and, and, and stood up for me. And so I was actually inducted, but, uh, but it was a big drama and it was, it was, a, yeah, it, it was something else. It was, I love it. It was something to live through, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Especially it. Especially as a teenager, so. That's hilarious. Yeah, and exactly. It was hilarious, so. Um, and frightening, and then yeah. hilarious. Yeah. After the fact. So. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun story to share. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, for sure. I mean, but as scary as that is, because, of course, you know, anytime you, ex well, I shouldn't say anytime you experience anything scary, but quite often when you experience something scary, um the the um the strength of that fright kind of dissipates and it's like i let's experience something like that again you know <laughs> right yeah you know and it's like let's let's what else can we get up to right yeah exactly so which i guess also kind of ties into your um your occult detective stuff as well because i mean if if that didn't uh scare you straight it's that you know that 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 experience it's almost like it's either going to scare you straight or just you know you're like you're all in you're you're yeah. either you're all out or you're just you're all in you know yeah, yeah you're deep diving at that yeah. point and that's exactly yeah exactly what i did you know and i what i realized was you know as as a paranormal investigator and I, yeah, I watched the shows and, and I, Michelle would back me up on this is I think a big problem is not enough paranormal investigators 
are immersed in the occult world, you know, because you need that arsenal, right? Because you never know what kind of entities you might run into, uh, what kind of dealings. And, and you've got, you know, all these different, um, you know, religious sects and stuff that, that you might be interacting with, you know, with the spirit or, you know, more, uh, uh, nefarious entities that might be tied to a place. Um, so it's important to learn, you know, as much about like, uh, particularly in my area, to know as much about the uh, native lore as possible, because you're going to run into those type of spirits a lot. Right. Um, it pays to know all the secret societies and all the inner workings of that stuff. I deal a lot with like odd fellows, uh, yeah. buildings, uh, Freemasonry, uh, all, all that, those sort of things. So you get, you got to kind of have all that in your bag of tricks. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, uh, my biggest pet peeve is, um, oh, it's a demon. It's a demon. And, you <laughs> know, always- for, for anyone that, you know, um, practices magic and, and is, is working with spirits and whatnot, even like a, a benevolent, helpful spirit, um, you know, when, when you invoke them, you could have an unsettled feeling, you know, it, it's not like, um, it's not warm and fuzzy, you know? So just right. because, just because the feeling that you have is in this room is unsettling. So you don't, you shouldn't automatically go, Oh, well, it's obviously a demon because I don't feel comfortable. So right. well, it's, a demon, you know, yeah. most people are coming from the Judeo Christian background. Mm-hmm. And so they default to that, yeah. you know, that mythos. So, um, I mean, it's understandable. I, I host groups at, at least monthly, sometimes more. Um, and yeah, that I see it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and that was the, uh, the other thing that, that kind of it bothers me somewhat. You know, like I said, I, I've been doing this for a long time long before there was reality TV. Right. So I can remember the first time I ran across other ghost hunters. I never, ever ran into other people when I was out in these places. And it was um, in the early 2000s. And I was out at a place that they call Oki Pinoki, which is this, uh, this, great area forest there's a river uh comes through there i've got i've got a lot of uh, great evp um photographs of uh, full-bodied apparitions out there and it's a it's a great location mm-hmm. but so i'm out there investigating one night and i run into these guys that are you know passing through the woods and they had uh k2 meters and uh and I'd, I'd never seen a k2 meter before um, so I, I say, Hey, so what are you guys up to? And they, Oh, we're out here hunting ghosts. Oh, oh really? Yeah. So what is, what's this equipment you got here? And I said, Oh yeah. At least they explained a little bit. And they said, we, you've seen ghost hunters, right? And I was like, yeah, no, what's that? See, cause that's another thing you should know about where we live here back then. Anyway, there, we didn't have cable TV. Right. right? So, so you're stuck to local channels and such so i had no idea it existed 
And uh, they were explaining it to me. Oh, well, I'll have to check that out. So, so here they are, K2 meters. The next weekend, I'm out at a place called Hobbitland. I'll explain that a little bit here mm-hmm. later. But there's another group of people, different people. They also have K2 meters and, and, and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And so what I quickly learned is all of a sudden there's all these people investigating and it just blew up. Right. Because of that show. And everybody investigates the exact same way, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and so, so I have these people coming through and anytime there's a new, new toy on TV, these people are coming in with it, you know, and it's, you know, your ghost boxes and thermal uh, thermometers and, you know, all, all the different stuff. I still pretty much old school, you know, I use analog recording. I use, uh, I, I prefer divining rods. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I don't really play with the toys too much. I don't, I, I don't think they're very accurate to be honest. I think, uh, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of bells and whistles and, you know, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't see the value in, in them. I, I you know, I just don't trust the s- science. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have no experience with with paranormal investigations or whatnot, so it's hard for me to to have an an informed opinion. I would I know myself well enough to to think that if I were to do paranormal investigating, I would probably be more old school because I would be doing it um, for the experience uh, as right. opposed as opposed to trying to you know quote unquote prove the existence right. of ghosts or or to say oh well this thing uh, is powered by batteries it's going off therefore I'm doing science which that's right, right, how right. science works I mean if I'm it's, using a calculator to add two plus two I'm not doing science just because the right. calculator is battery powered yeah and I'm not. I'm not meaning to disparage the people that are out there doing this work. I mean, I understand, I get it, you know, it just doesn't work for me. And like you said, and this is something I figured out a long time ago, probably into the nineties is that there's no amount of evidence that I can collect and show to a non-believer. Right. Would convince them that it was real. Yeah. Right. They will rationalize why it's not. Yeah. So that they maintain their worldview. Yeah, I have I have video of full body apparitions walking in a hallway. Clearly, another person and people see it. And if you are a believer, oh my gosh, that's exactly what it looks like. If you're a non-believer, then they're oh well, that's just a person, and you know. Why did they disappear all of a sudden? Well, you know, it's the glitch in the camera. You know, they'll, they'll find some way yeah, to be yeah, rational. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I quit trying to, to convince people a long time ago. I'm in it for what it does for me. Yeah. And I enjoy the interaction with other spirits. Um, and, uh, and, and, I, and I like um, investigating the history of places. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a... Uh, an anthropology major in college. So, um, so people and places are very important to me. Uh, 
I like to delve into the story behind it, you know. So right, right. Yeah, that's I I I, I kind of feel you know your position there, and I mean you know talking about like you're not gonna no matter what kind of evidence you have, you're not gonna convince a non-believer you're not even going to convince the 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 science community because it wasn't the science community that did it if the science community were it was finally you know a little less uptight be like okay let's try this out then they'd be like oh guess what we just proved you know with the same evidence and the same uh equipment that you just used you know and and there are some sciencey things that you know, the, that I do like, um, I had a, a guy that came to a location that I, that I host people in quite frequently and he brought dry ice machines, flooded the place with smoke and had laser grids going off and you could see things passing through the smoke moving, you know, it's moving, you know, shapes are moving around it. Um, you know, that's uh, stuff like that. You know, I get it. And, mm-hmm. and, and science works. Yeah. If yeah. you're if you're thinking it through. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, ghost boxes, uh, you know, that's a little iffy, you know, randomly scrolling through radio stations. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, that's uh, I you know, I, it, it, that made me think of uh, the most recent investigation I did. Uh, we were sitting in the, this, this ballroom of this this old Odd Fellows Lodge, and um, I'm having a conversation with my friend. We're, we're sitting in chairs in the middle of the room. There's two other guys there. One guy who claims to be a demonologist um, who works with a Catholic priest up north. Um, seemed like a very nice guy, very earnest guy, but he's got a laptop and he's playing a Catholic exorcism over his laptop and uh full choir you know it's like six people doing this ritual and sitting near him was another guy who was just doing spot checks with a uh, thermometer you know around the room and as i'm sitting there i'm looking at the guy and i see a shadow figure manifest behind him and it raises up behind him and i called out to him and said hey there's a, a shadow figure right behind you. And then he jumps up and the shadow figure starts moving along the wall to the south. And at that, and then it disappears. And at that exact moment, my friend and I suddenly we both gasped as we just got hit with this cold spot, right? It just descended on us. And I mean, it just chilled us to the bone. And he, with the thermo, he's, he's shooting us with it. And he says, the temperature just dropped 20 degrees. Wow. Like in a split second. Right. It just, you know, and it's just like, you know, I'm looking at my buddy and he's like, you know, his eyes are all wide. And, you know, it, it, it took his breath. And it, and it was, I'd never felt anything that uh, intense before. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, experienced hundreds of, of cold spots. Mm-hmm. Never where the temperatures just dropped that dramatic. I mean, it it just yeah, it was really intense. And yeah, that was that was just here recently. So um, so yeah, I still get a thrill from it. That's that's for sure. And you know, I can still be I can still be surprised. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, doing this for over 40 years. Well, that's kind of the point though, too, right? Is, I mean, to still, to still be able to um, have that sense of wonder. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, doing what we do, right? So we deal with, with spirits and uh, God forms and the like, you know, in ritual, Mm -hmm. right? So we experience these things in a very personal way in a very ritualized space. Yeah. So when you go out into the wild where these things are just kind of out there, you know, untamed, you know, roaming about a, a, a location, and then, tr- and then trying to make a connection with them, you know, so there's a, a bit of a difference, but we have an advantage. Yeah. You know, people like you and I, because we've experienced that, you know, in a very clinical setting in, right. in, in, in ways. Um, well, it's very controlled. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I yeah. So uh, I, I, I wish there were more ghost hunters that were, occultist you know michelle yeah. michelle great i wish she i wish michelle investigated more yeah, yeah. Uh, well i mean she has these these great talents right so <clears throat> well, we were talking we were talking about that after um we finished um the interview and uh, after we we finished recording we were, we were talking about um um uh, paranormal investigation and you know and like i said like i i have no like i see paranormal investigation as purely entertainment just because i get it from uh television shows right don't i don't go out and do it so you know um i i don't really have like um like a full comprehension of of what uh you know, from the, from the moment you get there to the moment you leave type of thing. Like I, I jokingly said to her, like the closest I've ever been to a paranormal investigation. I had a dream one night that you, Michelle and myself were at a location and um, there was, there was like a, like a, a spirit that we were trying to contact, but, but um, she was too like, like weak to, to be able to, contact make contact with with michelle so we had to do the three of us had to do like this energy raising ritual but like i literally like whipped out a floor cloth you know um certainly ceremonial circle on the floor cloth and we did this like elaborate ritual and and we we fed her this energy and and she's like oh i'm trapped by this demon so then we had to do like this this elaborate um um uh, it like invoking the demon to then be able to banish it. And I woke up and I was, you know, cause it was so lifelike and I woke up and I was like, son of a bitch, that wasn't real. <laughs> so that's the closest, yeah. that's, that's the closest I've been to a paranormal investigation. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a fantastic dream. And uh, yeah, I'm, I wish I were there. Right. Yeah. So that would, that would have been a, a great experience to have. Well, we had a great time, the the three of us. I mean, we we had a great time. So, you know, you know, be at ease. You had you had fun that night. (laughs) That's great. But yeah, no, it was one of the you know, you have those dreams sometimes and you wake up and you're like, why is it that real? Right. Yeah, that that was one of them. Yeah, that was one. of. There was a fourth person there. I think it was a guy. He was like playing around with equipment or something but really it was it was like the three of us like and like i literally you know 
with the floor cloth and it unrolled and uh, you know and the tools came out and we're like let's do this yeah yeah it was something else it was a lot of fun yeah maybe someday we'll get the chance Mm. i'd love to have you at the uh, the odd fellows building sometime you know because of my love of the midwest so much and because i think you're fantastic i and i was actually literally thinking about this just the other week i'm like i really should make my way down to indiana for a trip i love long distance driving especially in the midwest like it's flat like up here you know uh to drive from like here to toronto right drive through the canadian shield and it's twisty and down and cliff and da 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 so it's not I mean, it's beautiful, but it's not relaxing. Like, you know, when you're driving through Oklahoma on I-35 and it's just straight, it's just just straight line. Um, You know, so I like long distance driving and it would just be like a a relaxing drive, you know? And uh, yeah, so that would be fun. Oh, I'd love to go to that um, Odd Fellows Hall of yours. Yeah. you would love it, yeah. And we there's there's uh yeah there's bedrooms there. We yeah spend the weekend and yeah yeah that'd be really cool. That would be really 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 cool. We could probably get Michelle to come over. She's only probably four hours away. Heck, the yeah. new church. Oh yeah, hours. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're all close. I mean, yeah. yeah we could have, we could have a, a little mini convention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that 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 would be a lot of fun. You know, you you guys are like like here. Um, well, Southern Ontario, it's pretty pretty populated. Um, you know where you can go, you can hop from town to town to town, and it's really, you know, everything's really accessible. But like with with you know most of Canada, it's like wherever you are, you're not near anything else. You know, right? I mean, we're 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 a huge landmass and we're so underpopulated. We have like 37 or 39 million people, you know? Um, right. So there's, you know, uh, wherever you are, you're never close to anything else. <laughs> basically. Well, there, there's gotta be advantages to that. Right. So like the, the, there's no, there's no energies that are intruding upon, you know, what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not, it's you can get away from people, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And you, it's probably not hard for you to get someplace where you don't have all that light pollution. Um, yeah. Right. Because yeah. even here, even here, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's hard to see the night sky, you know, it's just, it's so, and, and I guess that comes from, and you, you may have seen this when you were in Texas, right? But when I was out in the Southwest, you know, in New Mexico and, Arizona, Utah, when you were out in the desert, the the sky is is a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe it the first time I was out there, and it's just it was it was just I don't know it was, was awe inspiring, you know, yeah. just to look so deep into that blackness. Yeah, yeah. See the, you know, and when you're out there, I mean, you can see every satellite that's passing overhead. You know, yeah. It's it's just it's amazing, and uh, and you realize how much we've lost as a people. You know that I wish we could just get everybody. Hey, everybody, just turn your lights off. Just let's shut everything down for a little bit. Yeah, and 
look up and that wonder that is lost because of technology and yeah. a fear of the dark. You know, yeah, just absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we camp um, and uh, our camp's about a 45 minute drive out of town on a, on a little lake and um, it's, it's gated. So you, you, you can't just drive in there, you know? So it is, so it's very private and it's, it's amazing because at night, like that sky and the Milky way, and it's just, it's glorious. It's glorious. Um, yeah. So it's not, you know, there are benefits. I mean, it's not hard. It's not a big trek or any sort of effort or planning to be able to experience stuff like that. We get the Northern lights up here, which, uh, which are beautiful and uh, can be quite dramatic at times. So yeah, there's, there's, there's benefits, of course, you know, but I just, um, there's, there's a, um, um, not a, like a like a bit like a remoteness that you know because I got so used to like when I was living in in southern Ontario and living in Texas like I can just hop in my car when I lived in Houston and and drive half an hour an hour and I'm in a different place and you know things are just more accessible and and whatnot so it's uh there well just like anything else in life there's there's pluses and minuses well yeah in in Texas is it's a weird place, you know, because oh, I love you it. Go, you're in an urban center, and you, you're like you said, you drive out of that and get out to one of those small towns. It's like a different world, completely. You know? Yeah. So yeah, Houston. Um, you know, it's it's fairly um, liberal. Um, you don't have to drive that far out of Houston to uh, experience, you know, stereotypical Texas you know and then like i said i also lived in austin and austin is so much more liberal and, and artsy and whatnot um right. and, and austin feels like like the geography feels more like uh southern california or california than it does uh texas and with austin being so small like it's less than a million people it's just that much easier to get out of the city and you're immediately in stereotypical texas you know um yeah everything oh i i loved living down there i loved it so much it was my favorite place favorite place ever to live well in indiana you'll have uh indianapolis and gary right which are kind of urban liberal Mm -hmm. and then every place else is you know very conservative yeah, yeah. Uh, very conservative. So, um, I mean, I, you know, where I live, I live on just on the outskirts of a town of about 1,200 people. And uh, if I go to a, a town with 10,000 people, I feel, you know, kind of claustrophobic, you know. Yeah. I just, but, uh, but so it's, 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 it's a very conservative area. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of stand out a little bit, you know, right, right. Uh, but uh, I'm used to it. So, yeah, hey, but, it's, you know, it's you just don't that. run into, you know, you, you don't get that uh, that kind of integration with with other people, you know, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's very, very white bread America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, you know, 
the diversity is not on the agenda in these kind of places. Right. Thank goodness for the internet, right? So yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, you know, it's just like you got to take the good with the bad, and you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to to every life experience. I mean, there's certainly you know minuses as much as i love houston and i'd move back and like that's the only city where i would move that i've previously lived that i'd move back in a second um but there's certainly downsides of course you know so yeah you know you you weigh the two and you know you make your you make your decisions you know yeah you make your you make your little world work for you and uh, and and you know what? You, you change people that you can change, and you, you every little every little change like that I think has much more weight behind it. You know, um, so yeah, that's what you have kind of have have to do in life, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just be you, and and hopefully that influences others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So one thing I want to talk to you about um, a lot, just because <clears throat> I'm a big fan of them is your books, your writing. Um, I, I, I want to know how that started the writing. And- uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a, that's a really, uh, that's, that's a great story. Um, you know, growing up, I played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I still do, you know, yeah. I still play, you know, role-playing games, I should say, not just, not just D and D, but so storytelling was very natural for me you know growing up so um so i was usually the dungeon master or you know the uh the the person instigating and and controlling the games Mm. and i wrote some plays and some short stories as a kid but when when i went to college i i was mainly a poet and a songwriter um uh, so I, i played a little guitar and that was kind of where I thought I was at as, as a creative outlet. Well, then fast forward to about 2000 and I got married to this wonderful woman named Kim. And it's beautiful, by the way. Thank you so she's much. Beautiful. She, yeah, and her cheek really, I don't know how she ended up with me, but yeah, we, we worked together in a bookstore. That's yeah. where we okay, consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Uh, so because because she was my boss, we ended up. I had to leave that job. I became a manager. I had a books a million in another town, and uh, we were the week we were to get married. They they and I, of course, for months they knew this was coming. They come to me and they say, uh, "Hey, Bob, you're going to have to work." the day of your wedding. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? No, no, no. I, I, I've got it off. Uh, well, yeah, but the, uh, the, the co-manager, she has a bridge club thing in Fort Wayne. So she's not going to be able to cover. Um, yeah. I've had this off for like six months now. Oh, sorry. So I quit. So the week I get married, I don't have a job. And, uh, so I'm looking for work and I'm feeling kind of depressed, you know, starting this new life with this wonderful woman. And, you know, I'm, 
out of work. So she says, well, hey, you were always talking about being a writer. Why don't you write when I, when I leave for work? And then when I get home, I'll read what you wrote. So that's what happened. So for the next three months, well, whenever she would leave for work, I would sit down and I started writing Shadows Over Somerset, mm-hmm. which is the story about uh, werewolves and vampires and and uh, immortal swordsmen and all this kind of a, kind of a conglomeration of all these things that I loved, and it was a lot set, of fun. Set in your area that you live in, um, it, yeah, yeah, the town of Somerset, which is yeah. just you know just up the road, right? So, uh, so yeah, so it, it was a great bonding experience for us because um, she would come home from work, we would sit, she would read it, we would discuss it. So I knocked that book out in about three months and I thought it was pretty good. So I started looking for publishers and really shortly after that, it got, it got picked up um, by uh, Dimension Studios, which was a film company. Uh, they made like a, a whole slew of like the underworld movies. Right? right. So, yep. So a whole slew of like horror type films. And they had it in development for like oh, three years and they kept having me like do changes, you know, like uh, they say, Hey, could you kind of age down the cast? We're thinking something like Dawson's Creek kind of, you're right. So I'm, so I'm redoing the book and okay. like, what are they doing to this thing? Right. So then after three years, they had a movie come out called cursed. Uh, which was a, a werewolf film with uh, Christina Ricci and and uh, some other people, but uh, it did not do well at all. It bombed, right? And so they stopped development on that book. So it got put back in my hands, and it was a mess, right? Because I I kept having to make changes, and I didn't. I was so new to it. I didn't always change, save the original stuff. Okay. okay. So I reassembled it as best I could and eventually found a small press publisher that put it out and it sold really well, far better than I, you know, I dreamed it would. And so, yeah, that, so that's how that happened just because I didn't have a job. Yeah. And uh, I can't and, believe that your first book ended up in a, production company like that's incredible yeah okay so that was that was just a just a chance happening uh this was i'm a big comic book fan right so i was on a john byrne uh message board forum um that john byrne himself was putting on and i met a guy who was the head of research and development for dimension on on that board because he's a big burn fan and he's and uh he had just offhand said yeah i'm always looking for stuff you know i said hey how about if i send you my book and oh yeah sure sure and he he loved it you know right so i was like wow yeah that's great you know and i thought oh this is gonna be my big break and just like that you know hit a home run right out of the gate and then like typical Hollywood fashion, right? It falls apart in three years and I got nothing out of it really. So, but like I said, the book sold well after that. Um, And there was a sequel, Keepers of the Dead, um, which when I wrote that book, 
I was, let's see, where I was, I had a couple different jobs. I was working in a warehouse and I was working in a computer tech center. And so I didn't have a lot of time and I had a new son. Um, My sister-in-law had moved in with us after the death of my, my uh, wife's mother. She was, you know, like, I don't know, 11 or 12. So a lot of responsibility on me. Right. But I had, I had a successful book and I had to follow it up. So what I would do is I would spend a little time with the family. And then when they all went to bed, I would go upstairs and start writing and I would write for like three or four hours. And then I would go down and sleep for about two hours and then get up and go to work. Mm-hmm. So for about four months, I was sleeping two hours a night writing this book and, uh, it was well worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was younger. So, you know, get going without <laughs> sleep to that from college, you know, it's a, long nights where we're, <clears throat> I was no stranger to, but yeah, I was really happy with that book. Um, but the, the book that I was meant to write was, was descendant and, you know, and, and that one, uh, that just came about for me writing short stories about these characters, Landon Connors and, and, uh, you know, Wolf and Crow and, yeah, yeah. and, and I just started pulling all these stories in from investigations and kind of weaving them into this elaborate story. And uh, yeah, and it, and it, it, it did well. It, it, people seem to really enjoy it when they can get their hands on it. Um, I and- love, love Descendant. So I, I read it the first time when it first uh, came out. Then I reread Firstborn, uh, and for, for those that don't know, it's it's a collection of your <clears throat> stories, but a lot of what happened in Firstborn and some of the characters made more sense. Everything right. tied in together really, really cleanly. Now, what I have a bad um, habit of, I'm really bad with people's names. Right. And when I'm reading um, fiction, if for some reason I decide a character isn't really relevant. I don't really pay attention to their name. So I did that with some of the characters in um, like some, some in, in descendant, like the, the kids that were dying. So I kind of pieced together uh, as I was reading descendant, like, okay, who, which one was this one and why not? Just because I just have that bad habit with names. So I reread descendant, again the second time and enjoyed it just that much more than I did the first time which I loved it the first time right because um, you learned who they were in firstborn yeah so it's like okay I'm gonna pay attention to everyone's name so I didn't get confused and and forgot forget who and, and da, da 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 so when I read it the second time I was able to just enjoy it just that much more and it's such such a great book oh my Thanks. gosh it's such a great book the the way it just you know because the first part and then you get into the storyline and, and how at the end how it just all comes together it just it's an incredible book it really right. Cause, yeah because it, it seems like the the first part has nothing to do with right and yeah so that was yeah for me that was very satisfying yeah bringing that all together it's interesting how firstborn came about 
<clears throat> so I wrote Descendant first, right? And so this uh, English publisher, um, which is defunct now, but so they were really interested in the book. They wanted to publish it. And so they, they get the rights. I signed the contracts. And the, the guy who was running the press comes to me and he says, you know, it'd be really neat if we kind of uh, leading up to the publication of the novel, if we had some short stories that we could release kind of um, um, that would lead into okay. the novel. And so that's when I got the idea. Well, you know what? Make them like little chapters leading up to the story and tie it in on, on how they all got involved in it. And right. it really just, it just fell into place. It was a brilliant idea on this guy's part. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, unfortunately he, he ripped me off and a bunch of other people, but, but I, I can't begrudge him too much because uh, that, you know, that probably never would have happened without his impetus. So, right. Uh, yeah. So, so, then I started kind of looking at all these other short stories that I'd written about other things. And I realized, Oh wait, this is all one big story. Mm. You know, you go back to that, that first story in, in uh, firstborn, the one about uh, Aleister Crowley. Right. Right. And I realized, Oh, those, that's the woman that's in descendant. That's her. And it's like, I, I, I didn't make the connection, but I realized I was writing about her. That's her origin story. Right. So, yeah, as soon as I realized that that's what I had been doing, even subconsciously, it was easy to put that, that book together. And, and, uh, and unfortunately, they're all out of print right now. That's, um, yeah, that's really unfortunate because I like people need to buy that book because it's so, so good. So I'm going to self-publish them okay. uh, with some additions. And so probably by the time people watch this interview, they'll be available again. So that's, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's my plan. Excellent. Excellent. Now, do you have any plans for um, books centered around um, uh, Landon Connors? Uh, definitely. Um, okay. I've got some things that are written, um, things that, that follow the, the book that follows Descendant, um, which is uh, Born Again, mm. that is very Connor-centric. That okay. brings him into that story, right? So because so, he, he was kind of on the fringe, right? You see him through Firstborn. Yeah. He's mentioned a little bit in Descendant. And then, you know, so that's, that's him coming into that story in the next book. So... Um, Oh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, and then there's there's the plan is after that would be um, uh, afterbirth, which would kind of take it even further and wrap that up. So, um, yeah, so Connors is is the guy I like writing the most about. Uh, my son, who's also a writer, he's 17. He's published two novels. He's got. You know, uh, he's been writing a fantasy series now that, you know, that he hopes to find a publisher for. So, yeah, he's, he's well, well, far and away more advanced uh, than I was at his age uh, as far as this stuff. I, you know, well, he has I a like good example. A little, yeah. You know, he has a he has a good example for, you know, yeah, but, writer, yeah. you know, so that's uh, that's a little different. 
But that's exciting. Yeah, right. So we we sit around and we talk writing, you know, and and we were we were talking the other day, and 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 I kind of had all these Landon Connor stories kind of percolating in my head, and we started talking about some of that, and you know, because there there's just so many sides of him that we I haven't been able to show yet. Right. And, uh, so, so that all just came bubbling up. And so, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to get back to that. Um, I haven't, I've not had the opportunity to, to write much here lately, <clears throat> last couple of years, really. So it'll be nice to, to dive back into that. Um, the thing I've been working on here recently is, a. well, <clears throat> for a long time, I was working on an occult detective role-playing game. Yeah, that utilized my stories as the, as the backdrop mythos, so people could like adventure within that 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 realm. And that's how <laughs> we met, incidentally, because I I can't remember how I came across a cult detective RPG, but that led me to following you on Twitter, and right. I contacted you about it, and so that's how we met, and blah blah blah. Yep. And- that got was, your tarot yeah. deck and you know bought all your <clears throat> books and and whatnot but it really was that uh that occult detective rpg that brought this relationship uh together well i i spent a lot of money on a prototype you know with 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 boards and miniatures and all that stuff so yeah when i published those pictures and 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 you and others saw it as People were, you know, drooling all over it. Yes, <laughs> but it's a very expensive venture, you know, to get into. So yeah. um, I, I realized that I was not going to be able to to, to publish this on my own. Um, so oh, I've been trying to find people. What's that? Is that a dead project? It's not dead. No, I'm still I'm still working on it, and it's <clears throat> if I if I if I get to a position where I could bring it to Kickstarter and maybe get it going that way that's oh, that's okay. a plan right. so yeah 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 okay. <clears throat> but yeah so the the problem is, is you really need people with money to, to to be behind something like that yeah you know and and i I'm, i didn't do it because i wanted to make money so uh but i really would like to have people out there playing it but here lately i've been working on a on a project for an, another individual that is a um authentic magic role-playing game that is not dissimilar from the occult detective, but it comes at it from more of a, not the detective aspect of it, but from an actual occultist that uh, is part of a lodge. It's called Invisible College. Right. Uh, I've been working on that. Basically, my job is to do all the artwork for it, uh, do all the graphic design and and put it together. So I've been working on that here you know the last few months to get it going and there's another rpg that i'm working with um it's a it's a really huge intellectual property um it's going to be it's going to be huge so we're we're writing that my son and i for them and uh they'll be taking it to kickstarter i I can't say who it is but but it's it's a it's a big deal you know so that that I hope was going to lead to a cult detective being published. So, okay. Okay. So yeah, if, don't, it's don't not, give up. Yeah, it's not dead. It's just shelved right now until exactly. yeah, yeah, until it's not shelved. Yeah. Yeah. I exactly. I, basically, I, I need to make a name for myself in that 
in that gaming community mm-hmm. so that I can get this thing off the ground. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen you uh, post a bit about the Inv- Invisible College. Um, so that looks intriguing. Um, you would would love it. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. It's because, it, I mean, basically it, it, it breaks down. I mean, <clears throat> this guy did a lot of work on uh, uh, breaking down in game terms, you know, using the, the, the Kabbalah, you know, uh, Nokian calls, all this stuff. You're, you're doing ritual right. in the game setting, you know, and, and, uh, and there's a little bit of a spy element, you know, kind of like a, uh, it, it seems a lot like, you know, the devil rides out kind of, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's okay. pretty neat. But. Okay. Is it like, is the setting like contemporary? It can be whatever setting you want. You know, it's a, it would be up to the game master. Okay. You know, okay. On when it, so it could it could take place in the twenties if you wanted it to, or earlier. So everything's generic enough that you could make it fit in any any time period. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And when is there a sort of like a like a, a hoped for release? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it should be available probably uh, next month. Oh, so, yeah. It's okay. Really, it's really close to being finished. Oh. Um, that's why I've been. That's, I've been devoting all my time to it to, to get it wrapped up. And yeah, and it's looking really good. It's you know, it's 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 really coming together. So awesome. And I think I think people really 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 dig it. Um, like I said, the, the the first time I play tested it, um, we actually we set it around um, uh, Boleskin, right? So, um, so yeah, you got the the Golden Dawn, right? So we were kind of doing that uh, War of the Magicians, you know? Oh yeah, the, yeah, okay. You know, with Yates and Crowley, you know, when they're they're battling over the Golden Dawn. So yeah, there are elements of that was it was in that first play test. So. Um, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. So, oh. so all of that is is potential to you know to to work with. So, okay, that sounds exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like like I said, it's been a lot of fun to work on. Uh, it's it's right up my alley. It's you yeah. Know, so, I look forward to people having a chance to to look into it. I yeah. like the idea. I didn't write it, but my you know, my art's all over it. And it, it's been, a, it's been a challenge, um, you know, cause <clears throat> yeah, you know, just putting a book together, like it's going to be well over 400 pages. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, and, and like seasoned occultists will recognize pretty quick that um, things were changed within it. So as, you know, like, like for instance, you know, the, uh, like all the names of the demons are slightly altered, you know, okay. their right. appearances are slightly altered so that we're not accused of, of, you know, teaching people to perform actual, you know, but it, it's close enough that you'll get it, you know, and it's, and it, if you want to change it to be more accurate, you can, it's, it's all yeah, just yeah. a little fudge with a letter here or there, just to keep it uh, clean. So yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, you're going to well, get- I mean, Crow- Crowley and Mathers and and uh, you know, 
they all the they did all that in their books too. I mean, yeah. they altered things so that only the initiated would would be able to perform a ritual properly. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, they, and that's smart. You know, you don't want to you don't want the that kind of stuff falling into the wrong hands. Although of late, I think people have you know been less concerned about those sort of things. But uh, but growing up. You know, you were always running into, why isn't this working? Oh, it's because he changed this and you're supposed to be smart enough to figure it out. Right. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Always a challenge. So. Well, they weren't writing. I, I don't think they were writing for for us, like for our, our, um, our time period, how we're, you know, we're all doing this on our own and, you know, buying the books and, and trying to make it work. I, I, you know, like they were writing for other initiates. Right, exactly. In, in a way, I mean, Crowley, they knew. Yeah. Yeah. Crowley did a lot of his, like, you know, the Equinox, of course, was more accessible to, to the general public and whatnot. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like they're writing for other, you know, their contemporaries, basically. They, right. were, they weren't doing, you know, Magic 101 for... Right you know, whoever was interested in it. So that, that, there's an interesting question. So what, how were you introduced uh, to Crowley? Like, when did you first hear about him? What, what led you to his writings? I don't know. I mean, so I'm not, um, I'm not into like Philema you know, I'm not a follower of Crowley. I, I find him interesting as a, as a individual, of course. I, I can't even tell you how many uh, biographies uh, on him I have just because, and I mean, it's the same story, um, but it's, his story's inter, inter, interesting enough to read it over and over again. And when you have different authors writing the same story, you know, they'll, they'll bring in their own biases so the tone of of his story is is different so it's right. it's interesting to to read the you know people that don't look so favorably on Crowley they're right. on him versus like um Richard Kaczynski's uh Perturabo um well, which is, yeah. is is the best like if you want the <clears throat> biography definitely get Perturabo because it's um, so fleshed out and, and it gives the good and the bad in, in, in a fairly um, um, neutral way, you know. Right, yeah, it's, yeah, here it is, warts and all. You know, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't remember how I first became aware of Crowley. It would have been through uh, books, um, that I read, owned, and whatnot. I remember I was very, very young when I bought Seven Seven Seven, and I was buying a lot of books on Golden Dawn. Um, I actually I have a first edition of the Complete Golden Dawn System of Magic by Regardi. It's a huge, uh. huge, huge, huge uh, hardcover. I mean, it's massive, and uh. I recently found out that it sells for like $1,200 US. Um, oh, wow. 
right now. Yeah. I paid, I paid $120 Canadian for it. And that would have been probably, I would say 20 years ago or so, 18, 20 years ago. So I used to buy a lot of books on, on, um, uh, the golden dawn. And I mean, you know, as a teenager, you could make heads or tails of, of those books. And oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, how do you pronounce any of it? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was totally lost. Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, but it was interesting going back, um, after, you know, lots of study and lots of years and go back and you crack open those books for the first time in 10, 15 years. And it's almost like you learned a new language without realizing it because now you crack open these books and you you understand the references and what this means and the symbolism and all of a sudden this whole world opens up to you and it's like oh I can do this and I ended up um getting the Cicero's uh, self-initiation into the golden dawn and I I worked through that more or less successfully I mean you know I, I have lots of conversations with my friend, uh, Fred RC about, you know, uh, self-initiation and, you know, that whole discussion and debate and, you know, the, the, you know, the positives and negatives of that, of that book in particular, Cicero's self-initiation book. And, you know, so, I mean, I just, you know, muddle, along as best as I can with the Dawn system, as opposed to like, you know, I didn't go the, the Crowley route. Um, Why? I don't know. I, you know, I think, I, I think I still have some biases where, you know, I I see Crowley as interesting, but slightly distasteful, you know, I I, I get that. Yeah. I, I no no matter how um, liberal and open and creative and experimental and kink you are, you can still have some, you know, puritanical views. Ba- I mean, based on our society and and you know, if your if your upbringing involves Christianity, so I still kind of look at Crowley as a little distasteful in a way where I'm like, I wouldn't. Um, uh, I, I just wouldn't, you know, go the, the Philema route, AA. He's the kind of guy that if you had met him, he'd be interesting to talk with at like a dinner party, but you're definitely not going to go perform a ritual with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting an intimate setting with him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so how I, I came out, I, I honestly, I can't remember, but I, I've certainly devoured a lot of Crowleyanity, you know, um, his, his writings are interesting. Um, his poetry is hit or miss. I mean, some of his poetry is brilliant. Some of most of it is, is complete garbage. Moonchild isn't a well-written book, but the story's good. I mean, if you, yeah. if you, if you I, have, I'm a fan. Yeah. That's, yeah. If, if you have a good writer to, to polish up that story, um, it would be an excellent book. Um, 
And then, like I said, I, I don't know how many biographies on, on Crowley I have um, just because his story's fascinating. And I love biographies. I, I love uh, people. I love learning about people. But to have all these biographies on like people involved in the occult, you know, it just it fires my imagination and it, it gives some inspiration um, for like my short stories and and all that. So I I, uh, I, I tend to eat up as much of that biographical information on uh, occultists as much as I as much as I can really. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. I'm I'm with you completely. It's a yeah, I think I I discovered him through uh, Jimmy Page, right? right. So okay. in the, it was in the seventies, you know, big Led Zeppelin fan, yeah, huge Jimmy Page fan, and so when <clears throat> you know, so you, you follow that whole symbology, you you find out, oh well, he owns, you know, what they what they always said, well, he owns. Uh, back then, we said Crowley, you know, right. Crowley's castle, you know. It's like, well, what is this? Who, who's this guy? You know, and so you start looking into it and and uh yeah that's kind of how i found my way through was through rock music right so mm-hmm. uh, stevie nicks was another one that kind of led you into witchcraft you know? right so uh, so yeah pop music in the 70s in particular was very influential pulling people in so yeah and you were talking earlier about like self-initiation and stuff that made me think of <clears throat> the scott cunningham books were really big for me yeah, uh, when those came out, um, it was such a breath of fresh air. You know, it was so different from all the other stuff that I'd been reading. Is very, very much more intimate. You know, and and, and wow. I just, I love his writing style. It's just um, so that that whole all those Llewellyn books in the in the in the late eighties and nineties were were just great for pulling people in. Yeah, I've still got still got them all on my shelves back here you know oh i mean you know there's there's a lot of books where you know i think about them now and i cringe um but (laughs) but they're they're not going to be you know i'm I'm not removing them from my shelves i'm not throwing them out burning them giving them away selling them right you know because books you know i love my books uh, you know um but yeah some of those books you think back and you're like but we've come a long way from there. We've, yeah, we've, right. we've come a long way, but you know, I, I see this a lot on social media because uh, people back in the day loved to bash Silver Ravenwolf and her book. Right, right. And who is a lovely person? I'm sure she is. I mean, I, I don't know her. I've never met her. Um, some of the stuff I, I have uh, four of her books. Um, I, they they weren't formative for me. Um, my formative years were a few years before she started publishing, or either that, or before I was, you know, aware of her and her books. I don't know because this was pre-internet. So if they weren't at the bookstore, they didn't exist really. You know, right? Um, so I, but I do have some of her books. There's some good that you can take out of them and some cringy stuff. Um, but, you know, as cringe, I mean, DJ Conway, I mean, her stuff, most of her stuff is cringe. Um, yep. Though her uh, flying without a broom was really instrumental in me being able to astral travel as a teenager. 
Um, but if so, you, I, I see this this come up quite often on, on social media with Silver Rain Wolf in particular. So many people being like, "Yeah, but they may be cringe now, but they brought a whole generation to right. witchcraft." and Wicca and neo-paganism and magic. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not harmful books. You're, you know, they're, they're not going to send kids to, to Satan. And they're, you're, a, a teenager is not going to accidentally summon a demon because of Silver and Ravenwood's books. They're harmless, um, right. you know, and, and they played such a big role for a generation that, um, you know, so, you know, most books have value and, you know, it's so easy to look at something in history or, or historical figures with modern eyes and right. see cringe. You know what I mean? Um, look, magic, magic and witchcraft in particular has evolved so much, yeah. you know, from when I was first involved with it, you know, when, you know, it, it just, you know, with a, was very sex oriented, yeah. very uh, very gender centric, um, and then you know the Dianic started coming along, and just everything, everything. And I'm old enough that I watched that evolution, right? And had to and had to relearn things uh, along the way, you know, where you know, and so a lot of the old guard, you know, that's still around that are still kind of caught in that, the, the way it was. And I'll be honest with you, I miss a lot of that stuff. You know, there was, you know, but because it's a part of my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that was the dominant form then. And, you know, and now it's a lot more commercialized and, uh, but there's just, you know, there was, there was good stuff then cringe stuff also. And, get that kind of now too you know and oh of course absolutely so you look at you yeah you look at this stuff and you you just take okay i i can i can use this i'll set this aside yeah. you know and, and uh and that's that kind of goes into the occult detective thing right so what what as an occult detective you sit there and you collect all these things right and you're it's you're you're pulling a little bit from this faith that faith this tradition that you know and so that you have all these tools to use mm -hmm. um and and so that that's kind of the way i look at it is you know so i'll re i read anything that, that crosses my path right and i find what i can use and i take it yeah you know and i and i make it work for me so yeah absolutely absolutely i know i was really big into uh like the Stewart's uh, yeah. books, um, you know, the, you know, and that's just, and I, obviously that's very old school now. Yeah. Know, doesn't really fly, but why there's, I have a soft spot in my heart for it. Yeah. That was there at the beginning. So, well, you have a soft spot for anything, uh, you know, um, positive in your, in your formative years, you know, um, the, just cause you know, it's, we, we have, um, you know, it, it's what shapes us. And we look back, we look back on them fondly, you know, um, right. like you take somebody like Dion fortune who just, uh, oh, just adored her. Right. But man, there's, uh, 
some really difficult things that you run across in, but you know, you got to keep in context the time period that she was writing it and, you know, people change and you can't throw it out just because she had some odd views on this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a different era, you know, so. And this climate's very quick to just dismiss everything. Yeah. You know, if, you know, and you got to have a little tougher skin, I think sometimes and uh, just work past it so oh absolutely absolutely like i said you can um you know look at any historical figure with modern eyes and <laughs> you'll find them you'll you'll find them lacking i mean you know all these people that oh well dion fortune was racist um alistair crowley was racist and sexist and da 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 they 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 need to not exist like we 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 need to stop talking about them and buying their books, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, um, Carl Jung was, and you know, everyone, Oh, his big red book and we love him and archetypes, da, 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 da. He was an anti-Semite. Yeah. You know, so throw out your big red book. Yeah. You know, Hey, look, simple fact is, is in 50 years, those people are going to look back on us and they're going to judge us. Yeah, because we're going to fall short of yeah. whatever it is that they're, you know, where yeah. they're at. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just had someone on uh, Twitter. I can't remember which author it was that we were talking about and how they were harmful um, and harmful to neurodivergent people and transphobic. And like, I don't recall them ever saying anything transphobic in any of their books. And this person's like, well, no, they didn't say anything transphobic in their books. They didn't mention uh, trans people in their books. And that makes right. transphobic and, and harmful to trans people and, and to neurodivergent people. And I'm like, that's, that can't be the bar um, right. that you, that you judge uh, a 20 year old book on that because they didn't mention trans people because 20 years ago, we weren't talking about trans people the way we are today, like 20 years ago, or this, like, well, it would be a little, little more than 20 years ago, because this was the 90s. Um, right. Uh, that this, I can't, and again, I can't remember which author uh, was mentioned. Um, but in the 90s, how the, the conversation about trans people today, well, in the 90s, that was about gay and lesbian and and right. and by by bisexual people um so we're Gary, go back even further and you'll run into what was it the you know well you know homosexuals were uh the opposite gender in a previous life and that's being carried out right it's just a, a total lack of understanding yeah. yeah you know and they they were just trying to to work their way through it and yeah. and that's what it took to get us to where we are now exactly it's part yeah. of the journey exactly yeah, so. yeah 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 so it's just uh, yeah i mean we're going through a cultural shift and that's fine i mean we don't have to look that far back to the 60s for another major cultural shift we survived we're going to be fine mm-hmm. um the only differences and the problem is uh social media because you know everything is so much everything happens a lot quicker and, and, and it's just so easy to take things out of context and, and 
you know, so like I, I spend a lot of time on social media because there's some good characters on there. Um, but I don't do a lot of interacting. I don't get into a lot of discussions because it seems a little pointless. Right. And there's um, a very vocal minority of people out there that ruin it for everybody else. Yeah. 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 You see it with um, what, Georgina, right? With her uh, little Thelema video. She does yeah. the TikTok stuff, all the TikTok, which, you know, and, and people are just horrible. You know, you'll just run across these, you know, sexist, misogynist, yeah. you know, blathering that just, gets dumped on these poor girls and it's you know it's i <clears throat> yeah so sometimes yeah you you feel like you kind of want to walk away from it yeah so, so yeah so I, I just like scrolling through and and liking you know my friend's stuff and you know posting like haha how funny you know just because it's like you know if if you attempt to get into a serious conversation with one of your friends someone's going to jump in and attack you right. for being something. Right. Right. So how dare you, why, how dare you like that? Yeah. Or how dare you retweet that? Well, sometimes you retweet things because you want people to see it, not necessarily because you agree with it. Yeah. You know, but it's just like, Hey, you should see this. You know, hey, did, have you seen this thing that the people are saying? Yeah. And they think that, you know, that that equates somehow to your support anything yeah. it's just a you know it's yeah. the wild west out there man yeah. you you gotta lighten up see i like keeping an eye on transphobes and homophobes and nazis you know what i mean as opposed right. to well i'm gonna block them so i never see what what's going on um but i'm i'm the complete opposite I'm like i want to keep an eye on them i want to know what's going on well, i want right. to know what steps they're taking i followed donald trump all through his presidency on Twitter, because I wanted to, I wanted to have firsthand see the stuff that he was saying. Yeah. Right. So, and that was, that was the fact that I followed him did not equate to me supporting him. Yeah. You know? It's just, I want to keep an eye on him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. <clears throat> it's funny. It's just, you know, people are, people are strange and that social media is a, a crazy beast. And I think the gods that, I live in a place where I can just go walk out in the woods and get away yeah. from it. You yeah. know, and I, I like to spend a lot of as much time out there as I can. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm old enough. Like there's, I'm not uh gen X and I'm not millennial. There's this like, um, uh, Oh, I can't even, um, the words escaping me for, for a moment, but uh, a micro generation. And right. and I, they they named it like Zennials, and it's people born between seventy eight and eighty four. They were born in an analog world and grew up in a digital world. So you know, because I'm definitely not Gen X, like right. I I don't have that level of angst, and I'm definitely not a millennial. Um, so social media, I, I you know I utilize social media, um. I utilize the internet, but it's a lot, I find it's a lot easier for me to walk away from um, than a lot of younger people, you know, <clears throat> uh, because I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born into it. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Me, me too. I, I was, I was born in the mid sixties. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so my senior in high school, I'm pretty sure that was the first year they had a computer lab and uh, they were like Apple computer, little Apple computers, little cubes, and you could do basic stuff on it. Right. Really? Well, the basic language is what you were learning. So, yeah. so that was my introduction. Then I go to college and they had a computer lab there. Right. But you would go and you would request information on the, on the computer uh, send out an electronic mail and you'd get a response back like two or three days later. Right. Right. You know, so it was very, very primitive, you know, my introduction to it. So, uh, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was nuts. Yeah. So, and now that's, that's kind of what I do for a living. I, I work in a, a computer tech office, uh, doing like phone tech support. Right. And, uh, See, it's funny. I, I started working there like 20 years ago, and I didn't even own a computer when I went to work at the place. So uh, <clears throat> they were going to train me on how to how to do the, the tech support. And uh, the guy just kind of, you know, the guy that was supposed to train me, he's supposed to train me for two days. And he just kind of, he was involved in his own thing, and he didn't show me anything. And so I had to learn it all really quick, you know, just like doing like, well, Alta Vista searches then, right? Right. So, yeah, so I learned I learned everything, you know, and people were on dial-up. And uh, so, it, yeah, it was a real learning experience. And like I said, I've been there 20 years now, so. Yeah. Uh, so fine. I see all sides of it. Yeah. yeah, how far we've come. And here's me, <clears throat> I just learned recently that, uh, my tablet here that I'm actually using for this interview, um, it shuts off like a laptop if I have it attached to its keyboard. I just discovered that. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. I just discovered that I can, I can connect remotely to my television with my tablet. And, you know, and I, I so sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm turning into my parents. Like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. old, you know what I mean? Where yeah. I'm just, like, all of this stuff is just second nature to to right. people younger than me. And, and here's me just like, oh, my tablet turned off like a laptop. How cool. Yeah. And the thing is, it's just, it's it's all just changing so fast. Yeah. You know, that, uh, and it's it's the same way, you know, it's, it's indicative of, society as a whole is changing so fast yeah everything's just just racing ahead and you're seeing that in in magic you yeah. know it is evolving you know you just watch it e evolve like within a matter of months you can you can see changes in thought yes and, yes yeah and yeah. how do you keep up with it how do you stay fresh yeah uh, at a point you just you kind of give up a little bit, you know, and like, look, this is what I know. I will take in stuff as it comes along, but this is what I, this is what works for me. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, everybody finds that, that comfort level, you know, and, and <clears throat> but you, you can't shut out the information of the other stuff, but you got to be true to yourself, you know? Yeah. So. And that's where I, th I think like a personal practice, like if you don't have like a really good, personal practice um and i don't mean where like you've you've attained some sort of like adept status i don't mean like that or you know you have, you have a practice where you're like okay well i'm done learning i don't need to learn any more new things but i just mean like it's like some 
level of personal practice that you can really ground yourself in and uh, remind yourself why you're on, you know, magic Twitter in the first place, because, or spiritual Twitter, which Twitter, whatever, um, to remind yourself why you're there in the first place, because you do this magic, you have this spiritual practice and how important it is to you. Because if it wasn't important to you, you wouldn't be part of occult Twitter, you know, you know, uh, you wouldn't be doing those hashtags and having those conversations. Um, So that personal practice um, is, you know, really essential, you know, whether that's, you know, like I, 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 I do my daily practice, my daily thing. Sometimes I slip up or over Christmas, I'll go days without doing a daily practice because I'm just drinking for however many days straight. So it's been like, well, what's the point of doing, you know, LBRPs. Um, but yeah, you know, I, 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 I try to be very good, very dedicated with like a daily, a daily thing doing this, like all of my, my magic products that helps because I'm in like, I'm, I'm this, I'm sitting in my ritual room right now and I'm here every day, all day, um, making magic, you know, cause I'm, I'm making my products. So that certainly helps, although that's not personal, but you know, that, that certainly helps. Yeah. You, but your products are amazing. Thank I mean, I, I love what you do. I mean, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, when I, when I first opened up that care package that you sent, right. And just the, you know, that explosion of, of smells that, that came out of that box. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, wow, it's <laughs> transcendent. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, you, you do, you do great work. And then there's so well, goodness. you know, most people did, you know, obviously don't know this because I have like 500 followers and the, the podcast is new, but Bob here um, designed the, the graphic for the Lux files. And so he got a care package of, of products um because i actually you designed it i just you know made it you know you, you well, told me what you wanted and man it was a great idea and i loved it so yeah but you just made it so much better and i mean i don't have um you know like i have like this basic paint program not microsoft paint but like this this you know program and right, it, right. it's good for for you know a normal person like me um, you know, uh, when I have to build an ad or whatnot, it, it's good, but I, I, I couldn't do something to that level of, of professional, um, design that, that you did. I, I, I'm sure if I got software and I played around with it, I would, I would think, mm-hmm. but whatever, that's never here nor there. Anyways, it, you, that's, that's you, you created it. It's so beautiful. And I look at it because it's so professional looking, well, thank I, you. Yeah. I still look at it. And I'm like, I can't believe I own this. Like, this is <laughs> this is this is my graphic for my podcast. Like, this looks perfect. Like, because it, it just looks so professional, and I know I couldn't achieve something like that. So I still look at it every once in a while. I I made it my wallpaper on my my desktop, and right. I'm like, this is mine. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, yeah. this, this is incredible. Yeah thrilled you love it yeah that's uh yeah, I, and, and I love to I love to do stuff like that you know that's uh 
you know, I, I just love art in general. I think art and magic are, are, are intertwined. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I used to, I, back a few years ago, I was designing t-shirts for like MMA fighters, you okay. know, which is weird. And so like, I'm doing this stuff and I'm, I'm integrating like little magical things into it. Cool. Right. So, so like, I, I always try to, to, to put something like that, you know, in, in the work. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I like, I, I do like book covers and logos and you know, just, just about anything that people want. And I'm, I work really cheap. So, yeah. So if anybody out there and anybody in your audience is looking for something, I'm, I'm easy to find. So Yeah. Hit. Bob, up. absolutely. Yeah. You know, my friend, uh, Fred RC, he was interviewing someone on his podcast. Um, his podcast is called Magic Without Fears, which is my favorite yeah. podcast. Definitely listen to it. And he was talking to this guy. So he started talking about my podcast, The Lux Files, to this, this, this guy, Jim. And Jim ended up like Googling it or whatever. And, and, finding the logo and he's like oh my god that logo is amazing the graphic mm. design and he's like oh it's so amazing and then frat rc started explaining you know the, the sigillum and and the um uh, triangle of manifestation and the lvx and what that all means and da, da 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 and it was just so cool to hear people talking about my podcast and the graphic and you know it's like I, you know, I'm inter- eternally grateful because I just could not have achieved that, that look, you know? Well, so. it, it, and it makes it real, right? So yeah. when, when you have an, an image that stands out there representing you to the world and it, you know, it, <clears throat> it, it manifests everything, you know, yeah. that, that you're trying to project. And yeah. uh, so... Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. And I thought it was a great idea that you had for Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and, and that's a rarity. Usually like, like a, a client, you know, comes out in this. Well, okay. So this is, this is kind of what I want. So you'll design it. You'll send it off to, no, that's not it. Okay. And you do this and you, you might have to do 10 or 12, you know, designs before, uh, you know, before, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's it. You know, and it's, yeah. You were you were very you were able to clearly define what you wanted uh, in such a such a, a beautiful way that you know it just it did its it, you know it created itself. So. Well, I think I'm creative enough to really be able to get the point across because I can see it in my head. I'm really good at visualizing. And number two, I'm so uptight that um, like I this is how I want it. This is how it's going to be. So right. and and for. And if you have that kind of attitude, then you need to have a clear direction because you know, those people that this is, it has to be just like this, but they can't express what just like this is. And, yeah. and, and they're the ones that get pissed off because it's not just like this, even though they don't know what this is. Therefore you don't know what this is. So, right. yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I, I'm able to see it in my head and then communicate it clearly enough. Um, because that wanted a, a certain way, you know. That's magic in a nutshell. That creative visualization, right? You know, that's yeah. you know that's that that, that is magic. Um, you know, and then that's that's the thing they they try to ingrain in you in your earliest days and in, in that journey, mm-hmm. right? Being able to build that. I know that you know. I used to do a lot of astral work. I, I still, 
you know, try to, but not as much as I did when I was younger. Um, but, you know, when you, you build the astral temple and you're exploring the astral realms and, uh, yeah, so I, I like, I went through the Monroe stuff, the Robert Bruce stuff. Um, but I think, I actually think I was, it was, I think it was Denning and Phillips, actually, the, one of the first books I read on, on astral projection, but that whole, that whole creative visualization exercise that, that you do leading up to astral work is, that's a building block. And that's yeah. something that, who's been through that, you know, that, you know, that, that's just a big part. And I think a lot of people leapfrog over that. Yeah. I think it hurts them. Yeah. Uh, in the yeah. long run. When, when I, I talk to people like less experienced people with, with magic, I try to find like a mundane world sort of analog, you know? And so this, this actually, like you said, is, is a really good example because I can, I, I saw the graphic in my head well enough that I can clearly explain what I want. And I got my intended result the first time. And right. that's what magic is. And if you don't have it clear enough in your head, if you can't visualize it, you you don't get the results you're intending. So, you know, you, you can consider that like, well, this didn't work, you know? Well, what part of it didn't work? Well, obviously it was not being able to visualize clearly the graphic. <clears throat> that that kind of comes back to Crowley, right? Because I remember reading the, the the first time I read about how he would <clears throat> he would play like three different people in chess, and he would be blindfolded, and they would call out their moves, and he would visualize three separate boards mm -hmm. and be able to track every move on those boards and win, yeah. beat all three of them, yeah, because he could visualize. I mean that. The, the level of skill that, you know, to be able to do that, yeah you know, that just always intrigued me. And I, I tried and I tried to get there. Never, never, never reached those levels. No, as, I couldn't as, even, not even, not even a single chess set, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still an amazing, you know, just, yeah. I have no it, problems in, in, in saying, you know, Oh, I'm so creative and, I'm, I'm really good at visualizing because I am. Yeah, I just, I am. I've been doing it like, you know, like the creative side ever since I was a kid. So that that ability to visualize, you know, comes quite naturally. It wasn't something I had to learn at 14 when I started practicing magic. It was already sort of built in. Um, but so, with that being said, could I do what Crowley did? Yeah. No, no. So, so because you got started in that so early, um, did you find you were able to like lucid dream at an early age? Like, were you able to control your dreams, manipulate? Yeah, yeah not prior to coming to the world of magic. Like, I don't ever recall. Well, so not lucid dreaming where I could control my dreams. Uh, lots of flying in my dreams, lots of flying. Um, but it wasn't until like, I, I, I picked up my first book on witchcraft at the age of 14. And um, in my teenage years, I spent a lot of work um, uh, 
developing like astral projection and, and lucid dreaming and, and stuff like that. And um, I don't do it as much as what I did as a teenager. Um, but like, I, I still like regularly um, uh, visit my astral temple and, and, you know, keep that vibrant and, and energetic and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah. it, it took, it took work. Like it didn't happen overnight, but it wasn't, um, I see, you know, I, I come across a lot of people where they just struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. And it wasn't a struggle. It was just, um, practicing the techniques until they, until they worked. So it, it, it was effortless in that regards, you know? Right. It just, it just took like, oh, this lucid dreaming is a thing. Astral travel is a thing. This is how you do it. You know? So it's like, okay, well, I'll do these steps until it, until it uh, happens. And then it just happened. Yeah. I've never had a flying dream. Really? Never. I, instead of fly, I leap like the Incredible Hulk. Wow. Okay. So I, I will leap great distances and then land and then leap again, but never fly. I, now I, have, I can fly astrally, like when yeah. I right, but not and never in a dream. I don't know what. I mean, it means something, obviously, but uh, I fly more in my dreams than I don't, which is interesting. To be honest, I in my dreams, I spend most of my time as somebody else. Yeah. I rarely am me in a dream. I'm usually someone else. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm always me in a dream. I, I've never I've never not been that I can recall. Now me in, in interesting situations like living on a starship with aliens. Like, 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 not like, not like abducted. I'm now living with aliens, but like, like a, like a Star Trek version of reality uh, type thing where I'm, yeah. Um, so I'm always me. It's just the situations are, are rather questionable. Recently, I was a spy that had to, had to um, secretly um, get into Russia to get 100 Dutch people out of Russia secretly on a secret plane. Um, so that was fun. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that was a lot of fun being a spy in Russia. So I quite so enjoyed do you that. have uh, do you have uh, frequent like uh, recurring dreams where you'll be in the same location but the events will evolve? Not as much as I used to as a kid. And as a teenager, um, the reoccurring dreams were pretty dominant, pretty regular. Now, not as much. Um, yeah, not, not, not as much. Um, what I get more now is in my dream, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this right where in my dream, in my dream, I 
dreamed something that happened that I thought was real until I woke up and realized I was dreaming, but I'm still in the dream, you know, kind of like that crazy circle, you know? Um, Yeah. Stuff, stuff like that where I'll, or I'll be dreaming about something that, Oh, that was a dream I had. And then wake up and realize I was dreaming about thinking about a dream that I had, but that I never actually ever had, you know? Yeah. Yeah, So that that kind of, you know, that circle of insanity, that's my head, you know? Right. Yeah. I I have uh, this one dream. I've probably been revisiting this place for almost 50 years. I started having it when I was a kid and where, I'm kind of like disembodied, right? And I'm following this child who's like playing in a barn and then he leaves the barn. He goes up to the house um, and his, his father is there and he's sick and there's a nurse that's tending to him. And then there's a later, there's a scene where the nurse kills the father. And then years later, that kid, he's older and he's kind of out for dinner with the nurse and having a conversation. And it's just this unfolding story when playing out, like, you know, for most of my life. That's I mean, I, fascinating. I, I was in the first grade when I, when I had the first dream, but it's always that same place. And I'm always watching it from above. Right. right? I'm watching it play out. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no one in the dream. I'm just watching it. And I get little tidbits, and and it used to be frequently, but like you like you said, now that I'm older, I you know, it's like two three years might pass between another little snicklet of it. But uh, now over yeah, the course, like that. over the course of the years, did that dream evolve? Like, did the storyline get? Yeah, yeah, it kept bigger. getting bigger. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I kept getting new, and and sometimes it would start in a different place. Okay, right? but it's but I recognized all the people, you know, and it's just like, so you're, you're just following this little story along and it's, yeah. it's uh, And sometimes, sometimes, right. Like, you know, like all of a sudden, Oh, you, now you're back at the beginning. Only it starts a little bit before it did before. Right. Now right. you're following this like old truck cause it's going over a railroad track and it's going towards the barn. And then you go into the barn. Oh, there's, and there's the kid, you know, yeah, climbing yeah. around and stuff. And, you know, so, so yeah, it starts at different places and yeah. And I've always thought, I mean, sometime I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to write it all out. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but of course it, it being a dream, not all of it makes sense, you yeah. know? So, um, but still it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's fascinating. And there, there are other things that interject in it too, you know, other reoccurring dreams. But that's the big one, you know. That's the yeah. one I always, every night when I go to bed, I, I think, is, am, am I going to revisit that tonight? You know, and and I think it's it's been a few years since I've had one, and have I'm you, always afraid I, I'll never go back there. Yeah. Have you ever done um, any sort of training with lucid dreaming um, to, you know, if for nothing else, to say be able to get to this dream whenever you want? Right. Yep. I, I've done a, a, a little bit, but you know, it's again, you know, it's all, it's on you. You're on your own, right? Because there's there's no 
there's not a lot of people to work with around here. So, um, and I've had varying degrees of success, but that dream eludes me, right? So that story, for whatever reason, I've been able to access other things. I've been able to access other people's dreams. Um, I, I, we used to, we used to like slip into each other's dreams and, and, you know, leave each other little clues. And we come back, you know, the next day and say, Hey, so, um, here I've written something down, you know, okay. Well, was there, a, you know, a, a coin with two heads? Yep. And that's in you. Yep. That's exactly what I left there for you. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And that, again, that was in the, uh, early nineties when we were doing a lot of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But then yeah, you, how interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if if that's a um like a past life. If you're if like because you then I don't know if you'd be able to access it through lucid dreaming methods, you know, if it, right. I, yeah, I, I thought that at one time we used to do a lot of past life regression work. Um, but I was never able to get into that dream, but I've, I've, I've thought that mainly because, uh, like, like you said, the, there's a very like <clears throat> late forties, early fifties feel to the right. whole thing. Um, so yeah, that made me think like, Oh, well, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, and, and then who am I? Am I the nurse? Am I the little boy? Am I somebody else altogether? You know, am I the father? Yeah. And I'm viewing it because I'm dead and I'm a ghost and I'm viewing. All right. So there, there's so many options. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a mystery I'd like to crack sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially since I brought it up. You know, it's like, yeah. Especially since you've been having it for so long, you know, that would kind of, that would drive me a little crazy not being able to have. <laughs> right. Answer. You want the end of the story because there's got to be there's got to be right. It's got to go. It's got to go further. Yeah. You, you know, it can't. You know, it can't. You can't leave me hanging. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to die with this cliffhanger <laughs> hanging over my head. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Do you have? Um, do you do like like a, like a daily routine? Um, you know some sort of magical or spiritual process that's kind of like, you know, this something that you do daily or semi-daily that's like, you know, <clears throat> I, I need this for my own sanity. Well, right. Okay. So, so I start every morning um, where I, I, I do kind of a, a little ritual prayer. Um, when I, when I put my Mjolnir on, I don't know if you can see it in the mm -hmm. yep. screen. I got, I picked this up in the, in the mid eighties. <clears throat> I had a guy, uh, a silversmith make it for me, um, nice. which is a, uh, it's a reproduction of an archeological find. Um, and, uh, so anyway, so every morning when I put it on, I, I, I do a prayer, uh, to the gods and the, and the spirits. And so that's, that's the thing that I, that I do every day. And then, nearly every day i do it i do a tarot reading when i when i get to work and i always carry a deck with me usually okay. grab a different one but and uh so i do a reading almost every day just to to get the day going and kind of see how everything's going to unfold um know what things to try to avoid that kind of stuff so, 
but that's the big thing. And Tara's been with me for, you know, uh, since junior high school. Yeah. So it, it's always been an important part of my life. So even as I evolved more in the Norse studies and, uh, you know, I tried to work with the runes and I, and I do work with the runes, but they're not as, they don't seem as natural to me, you know, right. just because I started with tarot so young and, and uh, yeah, and, and just, and it makes me think about all the, all those things, you know, you, you stirred up a lot here, you know, it's like, you're just thinking about all those early days and, yeah. the, and the, the, the books and things that just meant so much to you. Um, are you familiar with uh, Erica Jong's uh, witchcraft book? was that um that was a that was a big deal when it came out um and that would have been uh, 78 maybe 79 somewhere around in there it just had all this beautiful artwork and and uh not, not a lot of ritual work per se it was it was more of a you know just like a an evolution of witchcraft and I, for some reason that that book just popped into my head right just how that was influential um and i don't i don't know how many there are certain hotbed books that come out like uh you know uh, like uh, psychic magic right now you know right that's that's the book that everybody's you know kind of hanging on you know matt did, matt did a great job with that book it's um, an excellent book it's it's uh, it's a great book that i think anyone or everyone you know even if they're they're doing like a like a witchcraft course or, you know, whatever sort of magic course, that's a book that I think everyone could definitely incorporate into their training, into their practice. And uh, it's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, that, that's that's the, the book that's going to define uh, the COVID era. Really? Yeah. Right. Everybody was like hey, in lockdown and, and everybody in, in our circles, that was the book that everybody read. And, and uh, so yeah, kudos to him. He, he did a Absolutely. wonderful job. With that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and a good guy, you know, I, I enjoy chatting with him every once in a while on Twitter. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very nice. Very sincere, very genuine. Um, and he, he writes like, not like a writer, but like, a teacher who's emotionally invested in your success. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to, to, to define that. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I agree totally. And you, you think about, you know, those people that come along that are, you know, that are good teachers, you know, that, that, that are right. I don't know how much, how much you get to like, I don't know how much you interact with, with people in the community and, you know, in the real world um because that just doesn't happen anymore really so yeah uh but i i think back like the first time i met uh oberon zell and morning glory right that you know they were they were just such a trend and such and s so definitive of that late 60s 70s magic culture right yeah 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 the, the first time i met them it was it was just a big treat for me because i you know i'm i'm old enough that i remember when they were Toing around with the with the unicorn and, and all yeah, that. yeah 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 and, yeah uh, and they're very much of a different era you know and uh, and Oberon you know he's still you know he's still out there living the dream you know so uh, 
I recently read The Wizard and the Witch, which was about uh, the two of them. And it was such a great read. Um, I think it's well worth people, um, you know, newer generations, my generation, millennials, um, Gen Z, uh, finding out about these people. Uh, their stories and how witchcraft and paganism evolved from, you know, the mid um, 20th century. Um, Because it's, I didn't realize this. I thought that Wicca came to um, North America and kicked off the, neo-pagan movement in North America. I didn't realize it was happening in both in England and North America yeah. at the same time, but just in two very different ways. Like, I mean, Wicca was very, um, uh, and when I say Wicca, I'm talking about like Gardnerian Wicca, uh, like right. very ceremonial and, and whatnot. And then you have Oberon and Morning Glory and, and they're, they're hippies and they're living out in the bush and, and they're, yeah. they're, they're living their, their hippie polyamorous life and um same and- same thing was happening with uh with also true right so um here, here in america you know with you know uh steve mcnallan and 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 the you know edward thorson and all those guys as, as they were developing that, that that norse faith here in america at the same time you know over in norway it was, you know, it was that faith was being rekindled. And so it's that there's a current, right? And so same thing was happening with, it was, it was global and it's, you know, so witchcraft evolved in the same way and uh, also true did and uh, the way that all that stuff merged. And uh, I got to tell you in my faith, it's, 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 it's harder than most, right? Because you got a lot of really, you know, well, you you know a lot of a lot of bad eggs you know a yeah. lot of bad actors in in, in your faith and it's, it's hard to weed your your way through it all so luckily with wicca it's not as it's not as uh as much of a minefield but right did i just lose you there uh yeah you cut out for just a second oh okay no, you're no, back no. now no, you were just, you were talking like Wicca, not as much as the minefield. And I just said, right, right. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but it sounded like our sound dropped out. So. Could have, yeah. Could have. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all really dicey. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, going back to like when I was talking about like, I like to keep an eye on people, um, you know, especially with, with um, like heathenry and the runes and, and you know that that you know unfortunate Nazi um, uh, history and and how you know these these white supremacist and, and neo Nazi organizations today um, are co opting them the imagery right. and and the lore and the mythology and it's like you okay I, I get that you don't want to engage with these people and and you don't want to see it I get that and you don't need to engage with them but keep an eye on them. Like, like, right. don't, like, don't block them out to the point where it's, it, 
it's as if they don't exist to you because, you know, we tried that. Like we were so proud of ourselves. Like we all patted ourselves on the back. Oh, we got rid of white supremacy, da, 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 da. Well, no, they just. (laughs) They went underground. Yeah. And then guess what happened in 2008? Obama's elected president. Heaven forbid we should have a black president. And they started coming out. And then Trump arrives and they're like, oh, we have free agency again. You know, like they didn't go away or they didn't disappear. They just went away. They just went into the background, you know, and and because we ignored them and and shamed them out of the public eye. And I mean, ignore it all you want, but ignoring it doesn't solve the problem, you know? Right, exactly. You know, you got to shine a light on them. Yeah, I mean, I could ignore that tumor in my stomach. <laughs> That's not going to do me any good at the end of the day, you know? Sure. Um, so, yeah, and especially, yeah. especially since we have, you know, and all of these 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 people online, you know, they're like, they're they're so anti-fascist and so anti-white supremacist and so anti-nazi in witchcraft and occultism that's great but but your anti stance is just block like right you're not and i think they take it too far right with a lot of but you're not doing anything to to to, you're not really doing anything to to help the situation to change and screaming about everything being cultural appropriation you know like how dare you use tarot cards don't you realize that you're whoa whoa slow down um first learn the history and uh and and, but but they they do that with so many things right i mean if yeah 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 it's and and that's rough you know because you you can just take take things too far yeah but but you know to be perfectly honest i mean the the problem is is that we you and i and every other white person weren't we weren't raised to take a back seat to anything to right. anything because that's not the world we grew up in we grew up in the world for white people essentially and even though we're not like outwardly racist we still are influenced by that, by that upbringing, um, by the fact that society is the way it is. The right. problem with the cultural appropriation thing is, is we're not having a conversation with indigenous people about, about it or black people or, or people, um, um, food right. practitioners. It's white people saying, okay, I've made the decision that this is, cultural appropriation and i've made the decision that you can touch this but you can't touch that and it's like if you're really um if you're really interested in advancing um other people and other cultures and black voices you need to start talking less and listen more you need to take a back seat to this conversation be a supporting role to this conversation but again we weren't raised to take a backseat to anything. And it's it's infuriating, but it's also amusing at the same time because tarot is a close practice. Only Romani can practice tarot. Well, we know tarot was invented by the Italians, number right. one. But number two, the tarot reading gypsy 
is a culturally offensive stereotype created in the 19th century in French literature. So you, you as a white person deciding what is cultural appropriation, what isn't, and you're, let's be honest, you're saying like, I'm one of the good white people. That's why I'm doing this. Um, You're using a culturally offensive stereotype to show how non-racist you are. Right. Hey, look, I'll be the first person, you know, because where I live, I I didn't go to school with people of color. Yeah. I think there was uh, like uh, a Filipino brother and sister. Uh, Now, of course, we had a um, Latinas around here, Hispanic migrant workers, right? Right. So some of them incorporated in, but as far as as far as you know, uh, African Americans, I I was probably, I mean, other than seeing them on TV, I mean, it's in person, I never saw any anybody. Um, there we there's like, I think two two African-Americans that live in this town now. Yeah. Right. So uh, both are elderly ladies. Um, Right. So it's just not, you know, why I went to a, when I went to college, you know, it was not integrated. I was around white people. Right. You know, just, it's a very white state that I live in. Yeah. If you're, you're not living in one of the urban areas, you're just, you know, you're surrounded by white people all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, like when I got, when I got the opportunity to to get out into the world, you know, that was one of the first things I did was try to seek out, you know, other, other ethnicities, other, uh, like, you know, I went to, I went to a a Jewish temple, right. Just to see, you know, okay, I want, I want to experience this. Yeah. So a lot of college helped, helped out a lot in that regard. So. Yeah, but yeah, it's really hard when you live in a bubble, you know. Yeah, and that's yeah. That's, I live in a, you know, I live, in, I live in a very, a very tight bubble here where where I'm at, and uh, and I think yeah. that's that that bubble, you know, thing plays a lot into it because you have people, and you know, they can be living in very culturally diverse cities or whatnot. But when it comes to the magical community, I'll call community, whatever, they can be very isolated and they're not, you know, they're not um, experiencing voodoo practitioners and um, Romani people. And, and, you know, so they're, they're just seeing stuff on, on TikTok and, and rolling with it and then taking it to the extreme. And, you know, one thing, that I've noticed within the past couple weeks ish is now one of my sort of passions is um, studying uh, Nazi occultism. Oh yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So one thing that I've noticed over the couple weeks, a really big shift and they're not doing it this intentionally. I'm not saying they're, 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 neo-nazis because they're not but uh feel free to educate yourself on where your words are coming from and what they really mean but um 
over the past couple of weeks, I've seen a really big shift to real like Nazi languages, language like on race and um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's mind boggling um, because that's not what they're intending. But that's right. but they that, don't know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. that's but that's the result, you know. Um, you know, the race implications um of you know your your not and not only like you're white, so you only have this, but um runes or Norse, you have to be uh Norse, you have to be Anglo Saxon and right, you, you and, right, you gotta have that bloodline. Yeah, you, know, you you got to be able to trace your genetic code. You know, yeah, yeah, I, I you run into a lot of those people, and uh, you know, <clears throat> and I went through that at a stage, right, where I was thinking, well, why why would you want to be involved in this if you weren't not connected by blood to it? And yeah, and yeah. you realize, oh, well, you know, it's you you can't put up walls. I mean, yeah. how can you judge, right? That was like, okay, so if you remember when <clears throat> the AFA had the whole whole dust up with uh, uh, their their transphobic comments, right? Yep. And my first thought, my gut thought was, have you not read any of the mythology that you're purporting to worship? Have you heard of this guy named Loki who... Is as transgender as you get, right? Yeah. He gave birth to a horse, for God's yeah. sake, you know? And so how can you deny, you know, transgender folk when your gods themselves are depicted in stories as, you know, as binary, as cross-dressers, as, you know, all that stuff's in the stories. I, yeah. I, I just don't, I don't see how they can, you know, yeah. put up those kind of barriers. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's human nature, you know, it's, it's, they can, <clears throat> you know, they can easily, not, I'm uncomfortable. So I want to, you know, keep it at bay. Yeah. I don't, yeah. 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 But, you know, that's, uh, I don't know. No, we're just, I think we're just in a, when we're in a big cultural shift. And like I said, this isn't the first cultural shift. Um, we'll be the last. You know, we, we had one in like a big one in the sixties. We survived. We'll always survive. You know, it's infuriating sometimes. Um, you know, we, like you said, you know, when you're, you're seeing all these like 20 somethings and, and, and teenagers on TikTok being like, oh, well, you're Celtic, you can only do this. You're Anglo-Saxon, you can only do this. You're Black, right. you can only do this. And, um, you know, the implications of segregation, you know? Um, so you just hope that they wake up one day and realize, you know, that they need to educate themselves on reality and 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 whatnot. Not to mention the fact for most of these, you know, people are Americans. Right. And if you would actually look at your genetic makeup, I mean, you're a hodgepodge yeah. of, you know, you're a melting pot uh, uh, of, of a wide variety of peoples, you know, like 
you know, in, in my genetic makeup, yes, I'm primarily, you know, Scots English, right? But, you know, there's like 13% is Scandinavian, you know, I've got um, like 3%, which is, um, uh, is Jewish. I, I'm even like one, one and a half percent, uh, African. Right. So I'm, there's all these different, you know, ethnicities floating around in my genetic makeup. You know, how can, how, how can you deny any part of that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's who you are. It's that long line of how you got where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you need to celebrate it, you know, so. And, but I mean, there's also like, they're, they're not understanding, you know, the difference between cultural practices and closed practices. I mean, like voodoo, voodoo is a closed practice. It's, it's initiatory, but it's a living tradition. Um, uh, Norse paganism isn't a living tradition. It's not closed to anybody. You know what I mean? You, and I just, they're, they're, they're I just, uh, I just, you it's, know, it's, it's exasperating. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, just throw up my hands and be like, you know, I'm just, yeah. And it, you know what? The, the, the thing I always go back to is like, okay, you talk about the work. I'm too busy doing the work. So I'm just gonna, I'm going to keep doing the work. You keep talking about it and, you know, Right. Yeah. When you're out there practicing it, you'll, you'll realize. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you know what, take a take a trip somewhere, you know, get out of your little, you know, cubicle, wherever you're, you're stuck and go out and see a bit of the real world, which I don't think we get enough of, you know, when you go to, go to New Orleans and and walk the streets and, and, and go in and out of those, uh, there's a cult shops down there. I mean, you learn a lot, take a trip to Salem, you know, you know, wherever there's places that you can go and, and kind of immerse yourself in a culture and you you don't have to be there long. Yeah. uh, But see people living and breathing this stuff and, and and you have a better understanding. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's where the problem is um, with a lot of these because they don't have that, that community. Like we had, um, I, I, I right, think where you had to actually go someplace to, yeah. to learn something. Yeah. And, and you, and you right. had mentors and, and elders around you, whereas, you know, a lot of people don't now, uh, I think because it's so easy to access people online but that's not the same because you just don't get you you don't get the same exposure and and right. and uh, gaining of knowledge and and whatnot. So it makes for a, a difficult uh, a difficult situation. And they uh, tend to gravitate towards pretty people, yeah. right? Online, right? So you know, you get a lot of uh, a lot of dicey stuff out there. Just you know, yeah, for that reason. Yeah, when we had to go out and and hang out with people that you know or, you know, newly fresh out of the woods with twigs in their hair. And say, yeah, yeah teach me what you know, man. Yeah, pretty much. You're out there living it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, could, we could talk about my first high priestess and her insistence that bathing um, X amount of days before ritual was a bad idea. Yeah. Um, it's like, God, <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, that's no. Sorry, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of ritual bathing every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it, it's funny how um, you know, like like she was. I I think she went like three or four days before ritual, uh, not bathing. Um, meanwhile, I'm like, um, you know ritual purification ritual bath like with all the pomp and ceremony attached to it you know what i mean right but but yet you know when we come together um uh things just work you know we we come from something from two different angles but yet we make things work and and it's harmonious um but that's because we come together you know and I think you have to come together. And as as great as uh, social media is, um, it's that's not the same as coming together and having. It's not having community. I've lo- met a lot of great people um, online through social media, but it's not the same as having that community. You know where you're together in ritual. Right. You know, and bringing all of your different ideas and beliefs together and. Uh, putting something beautiful together. That's one of the, the, the things I've lacked the most is, is, you know, living where I do, there just is not that, that community of people. Yeah. So, yeah. So it'd be very solitary for me. So, I mean, you'd, you'd meet one or two people and you might get together and do stuff, but uh, you're, you're from so, so diverse, you know, you, you don't have that, you know, a commonality, but you find those places yeah. to in- interact. And, you know, like I, like I said, we, we used to do a lot of dream research, astral projection, past life regression, that kind of stuff, because those were common grounds that we could, mm. we could touch base on. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, you, uh, you got to do what you got to do, you know, especially with, you know, we're such a small community um, that, uh, you know, um, not like you have to settle, you know, but uh, it's not like you have to take what you can get. I, I, I don't mean it in, in, in those terms, but, you right. know, you, you have some commonalities with someone, uh, you explore them, you know, right. the, the, the differences don't make you enemies, you know, and like, they're just differences. It's not a big right. deal. You know, right. as, as long as they're not actively seeking to harm other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, then yes, you can, then you can learn from them and they can learn from you. Yeah. And you'll both be better for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so let's talk about where we can find Bob Freeman online. Well, the easiest place is to go to occultdetective.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been blogging pretty regularly there um, of late. Um, so you'll get some interesting stories and such. Uh, you can find me at a, as a cult detective on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I'm the most active. Um, and you can find me by the same moniker at Facebook. Right. Yep, so and um instagram yes and instagram yeah. also a cult detective there yeah that's right 
I have a brand. Yeah. So. Yeah. I highly recommend everyone um, reading your blog, especially when you do your, your, your 30 days of Halloween and, and all of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are always a lot of fun. Yeah. They're, they're so fun. They're so great. And those stories of uh, that, you, you know, they're just small little um, tidbits of your life that you just pull out and put up in, you know, in, in like the 30 days of Halloween blog posts and whatnot. They're just, fascinating they're so great some of your stories are like i not in a in a well i don't believe that happened kind of way but in a like holy crap kind of way that's incredible you know yeah yeah it's and and they're fun to write and um and they're fun to share i guess this is the the best way like like i always I always love, you know, letting people know about, uh, like the time I was at, we went to Roslyn Chapel mm-hmm. right, in Scotland. Uh, <clears throat> and this was before the Da Vinci Code came out. So the place was practically abandoned. Yeah. And so, so we roll in there and we had the place all to ourselves. Right. The, the tour guy, you know, the tour guy came in and said, well, you know, this place was built. And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've read books. Yeah, I know about it. And they, OK, well, enjoy yourself. And we were left alone in that chapel. That's we were awesome. able to go down into the lower crypts, just had the run of the place. So I'm like doing a little mini investigation while we're there. And, and uh, you know, and, and if you go today, you know, you're going to be there with 100 people. Yeah. So yeah. so I've, I've been lucky. Um if you, if you get to go overseas anytime, like Scotland's you know, Edinburgh in particular, right? So, yeah, you got the weird shop, you got uh, the witchery, you know, you got the the the, the witchcraft tour, mm-hmm. the ghost tours. It's a great place for for paranormal adventuring, and so yeah, so I talk about that stuff on the blog, you know, and uh, and all the all fast excuse me all the fascinating places right here and around where i live um i mentioned hobbitland earlier oh right? yeah 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 so hobbitland right is this is this area near what back in uh the battle of 1812 right so there was a slight this massacre um that occurred there so so it's kind of a hotbed of of, of paranormal activity anyway because mm-hmm. of this ancient battlefield, but <clears throat> the 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 Miami Indians, um, they talked about these people called the, the Payasa, right? Which are little people. Um, basically, you're looking at like land whites, you know, fair, the Fae, mm-hmm. right? And they would go out and commune with these things and, and leave offerings to them. So, sometime in the '60s people hearing those stories started calling that area hobbit land right because little people right so that was like teenagers just flocked to that place as kids but so you'll have uh all these mysterious things that'll happen like uh stacked stones out in the middle of the river okay where they're standing up on edge you know and it's like you know there's just no way people are doing it you know pop up and, and, and so you can go out there and commune with these things. And uh, it, it's just amazing. And, and it's just like, it, it sounds very made up, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. but, uh, 
when you're out there and, and, and you know, in the night you got a campfire going and, and you realize, Oh yeah, you're no, you're surrounded by that. They're, st- they're still here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're wondering, well, where's the, where's, where's the Indians that used to, to come here and, and, and leave offerings to us. So, you know, so you take up that mantle, you begin, you know, leaving offerings to them and uh, it's a great place. Right. And that's just, you know, like about a 20 minute drive from here. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like, and like I said, Somerset, which is close by and that whole Mississippi river is just amazing that that leads up to a place called seven pillars. Right. Seven pillars. Yep. Was a place where the native tribes would gather and have basically court and they would bring people in and you'd be judged and they'd lop their heads off and their heads would fall into the water below. But these, the, the columns that are carved in this limestone are just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they've got all, all these little, you know, egresses and the, the Miami believed that those were passageways into the afterlife. So it's just a hotbed of activity there. And just right near that place is where Chief Godfrey used to live, right? And so he's got this little farmhouse and there's a barn there. And, and there was this sh- shaman named Whitefeather um, who, you know, ended up uh, like placing curses on one of the rival clans. And uh, the, there's a, the graveyard nearby there is just littered with all these people that were killed in this witch war <clears throat> by these wow. natives. And so he was killed and they have him buried uh, in the corner of the barn so that the, you know, the cornerstone is right on top of his body so that he's pinned so that he can't re-enter uh, as a spirit into right. the world and, and, Right. So, and I remember when uh, they were going to tear that barn down and people were, you know, freaking out because they were afraid that, you know, <laughs> the white feather was going to return. Yeah, yeah. So there was like this big petition, all the, all the natives came and, and, you know, no, 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 no. So they, they ended up coughing up money to just repair the barn and keep it intact. So, uh, and that's that's just right there, you know, all in that little corner of where where Seven Pillars is. So nice. it's some fascinating stuff, and it's um, right above uh, where where Seven Pillars is, is uh, where Cole Porter lived. Right, so uh, so you got that too. This big mansion, you know, with swimming pool and tennis courts, and uh, <clears throat> there's like this big fence surrounding that property. And and one time I, I caught pictures of uh these um full-bodied apparitions of guys in military uniforms you know like uh that kind of 1812 era right uh, watch walking those grounds it's like oh man it's just it's just a like i said and it's near that the seven pillars where supposedly this gateway to the afterlife is you know so it'd be a great spot for you know like uh you know the, the the portals from hell crew to come out there and do an investigation there they, they would love that spot M- michelle would just eat that up she would she she would just 
be inundated with with the spiritual connections yeah. so. you know you you bring this this landscape to life it's so incredible like whether it's in your books or in your blog you just bring it to life and i feel like i know the place intimately and i'm gonna okay michelle and i definitely definitely are gonna come and visit and I, i'm just making the decision for michelle apparently <laughs> Um, that dream and, that dream is going to become a reality yeah and um and yeah and, and we'll we, you know we'll play around. well you know what that'd be kind of cool because you guys would literally be um initiating me into my first like paranormal investigation all right yeah um oh, which, which would man, be cool wait wait till all right so so this this little town i live in right i mean it's just typical midwestern small town indiana you're driving through town right you get out by where the fairgrounds are and right across from the fairground entrance is this second empire mansion mm. right just this gorgeous house and it, boy it, could, it needs some repair but uh, it's just amazing right and in the backyard is a statue of this black robed figure standing up and it's got its hands cupped out in front of it. And it's so solemn. And so, I mean, you could just, it just radiates with this, this magical energy. And the, the guy who created that, you, originally it was a, it was a naked man. Okay. Right? And these kids came and tied a rope around its penis. And then lassoed a train <laughs> and it ripped the penis off of this thing right and then they wore it to school and this was back in the in the late 60s right so it's like uh you know and it's that's a hilarious story but so the artist goes out there and he's all oh, dismayed they mangled his death so he puts it in shroud and it's in you know and he changes its arms to so it's in mourning over the loss of its manhood so it's kind of very a uh, very like osiris kind of yeah yeah right but so all right so, so are you suggesting kid. that the three of us go find his penis is that what you're suggesting no. well no but i am suggesting that we go and see this place because you would yeah. love it when i was a little kid and i first went there right so the, the artist his name was thad miller just was wonderful and he, he did all these really cool occult paintings but we you know you go inside and in his in the living room he had painted his wife nude in this massive mural across the front room and all these demons are crawling all over and biting into her flesh, you know, and it's just like, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, 70 years old and I'm looking at this like, Oh my God, what is this? You know, of course it's been painted over now. He died back in the eighties and right. they've changed all the, all the cool stuff, but I, we do have some of his paintings on display and, this guy, the first time I saw a painting by this guy, I was helping these people move into an old uh, um, a, a fraternal lodge. It's just like two blocks from where I'm living right now. And the building's collapsing. But anyway, these people were moving into it in the 80s and they were re re renovating the place. They were little old, old folks. And <clears throat> I'm helping them unpack things and stuff. And there's, I come across this painting and, the, and it's of this young woman and she's wearing white robes with a hood. And I mean, she looks just stunning, you know, and obviously it's some kind of ritual attire. Right. And in the, in the kind of smoke in the background, you see all these kind of demonic faces, 
you know, appearing. I'm like, wow, what is this? So I asked, hey, Mrs. Maines, what, what, what is this painting? Oh, well, that's me, you know, when I was a young girl and I, you know, I was in the Eastern Star, um, Job's Daughters, I think maybe it was. Yeah, that's what they called them. So, and, and, and yeah, and that was the robes we wore for, for ceremonies and stuff. And it's like, well, what about the, you know, the, the weird faces behind it? She, oh, I never noticed those before. So she said, well, yeah, Thad had painted that of her. And I said, well, I didn't think Thad was, a, no, I, he just painted me as if I was young, you know, as, you know, and he just, he just did it on a lark, you know, but, and yeah. And so when I pointed out the demonic faces, she'd never noticed them before. She'd had that painting for years. Yeah. So this it was incredible. And then it wasn't like maybe a month later. I'm out at this party out near the, the Mississippi Reservoir that this people's house, their mother was gone. Right. So, and I'm walking around this place and, you know, people are getting high and drinking or whatever. And I turn a corner, go down the hallway and there's a painting there and it's of a woman with fire hair with, you know, you know, almost like a Medusa, but the, the flames are the snakes. And I was like, what is this? And I noticed Thad Miller. You know, it's like, and so I'm making the connection on all these weird paintings. And now it's like, oh, this guy was incredible. Yeah. And, uh, it's just another little local hero guy that is totally out of place. Right. And I wish I'd have, I've, I would have got to know him when I, when he was alive. Um, I mean, I met him in passing here and there, mm -hmm. but I had no idea the, the depth of stuff that he was involved in. And yeah, but yeah, so. If you if you if you make it here, we have all these wonderful things to get involved in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! I'll make a point of that. Once yeah. I once I get my jabs and I'm allowed to cross <laughs> the border again, right? Um, yeah, yeah. No, that'll be. That'll We're looking be... at like 2024 <laughs> when the world's back to normal. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I, I could understand, you know, it taking a couple of years for like, like international travel to get back to normal, but yeah. you know, the Canadian U S border, that's going to be this year. That's going to be, it's this gotta fall, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, we're, our, our vaccines are ramping up really, really quickly. Um, so we're, um, I mean, we were so far behind like first dose shots so right. behind you guys and now we're like eight percentage eight oh i can't remember eight percentage points behind you guys for first doses so we're catching up really quickly so you know things get back to normal and that only about one third of people in indiana have gotten it right they're just not you know this is trump country right so yeah. They're just like, yeah, don't, no, I don't think I'll get that. You know? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. We're not going to get to herd immunity like that. You know, come on, people. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's interesting how, you know, these people want everything back to normal, but they don't want to do the things to get us back to normal. It just, it's, it's bizarre, but you know, that's, that's a, you know, that's a conversation I'm getting bored of having and listening to because it's just, it's just the same thing every day, the same arguments and, you know, the same stubbornness and. Well, and a lot of people, you know, to be honest, they, they don't want things to go back to normal. I know a lot of people that are getting paid like a lot of money to stay at home. You know, that's a, 
they're giving people like $600 a week to not work, you know, and that, yeah. And they were, you know, they were making like 300 bucks a week. Right. Right. You know, so they're getting double pay to stay at home. They don't want that to end. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be, it's going to be hard to get people back into the workforce. Yeah. But you know, that, that, the world. that, that kind of aid is going to end. They're not just going to make, keep that, keep COVID aid going indefinitely <laughs> when COVID is, is, gone you know what i mean um so it's like okay like enjoy it while it lasts because it's not gonna last well it's not you're right but the thing is is like like people around here they're not getting the vaccine so the virus isn't gonna go away anytime soon yeah if people don't you know step yeah. up yeah. So, so now they're talking about incentive plans you know offering people you know this and that to, hey yeah. you come get the shot and we'll give you a lollipop yeah. yeah so it'll work hopefully hopefully yeah uh, hopefully people will come around so. money talks money talks yeah. i'm just happy that we're, do, we're doing ghost hunts again yeah um, you know so yeah I, I went through a long period where it's just me and now it's it's nice to have uh people around again um yeah it's it's starting to feel a little normal yeah at times so uh, it's nice yeah good good yeah, we're not there yet. I mean, we're completely locked down, like everything's shut. Um, so um, like technically it's illegal for me to walk to my neighbor's house, you know. Uh we're we're completely wow. locked down. It's you know, um um grocery stores are open, pharmacies are open, and that's uh that's pretty much it. But I mean, the third wave hit us here in Ontario really, really like it kicked our ass uh, our yeah. urban centers you know you're all picked in there so tight yeah. you know yeah yeah so you know um so yeah it's it's not feeling like it's getting back to normal um but it will i mean i'm i'm definitely i would say by m- march i finally was like oh i'm not okay like I'm, I've, I, I've actually finally hit that wall where I'm like, I'm really done with this. Um, so yeah, I'm, um, my age group opens up on Monday, booking my appointments, getting my first jab. My parents got their first jab, um, three weeks ago and, um, you know, we'll see if there's a bit of a, Good. no, no. No side effects for them. Were they okay? No side effects. Yeah, no That's side great. effects. Nothing. Nothing. So maybe my, we'll, my we'll mother when she got her, yeah, my mother got really sick after her first jab. Yeah, uh, to the point so bad that uh, they they're not going to give her the second because she wow. just had such an adverse reaction. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they told her no, we're not going to take the chance. Yeah. So she was kind of bummed because you know. You kind of need that, you know, she likes to go on cruises, you know, yeah. and you're going to need that, that vaccination card yeah, uh, to be able to do stuff like that. So she's trying to, you know, see what she can do, maybe try a different drug or something. So, yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, I'm sure they can, they can get that worked out in some, in some way. Hey, it's America, for goodness sake. We can, come on, get on it. Yeah. yeah exactly exactly all right so um is that a wrap 
do we have more we have more to talk about i probably that's probably good um yeah. i'd be more than happy to do this again someday um oh we'll definitely do a round two i don't even know what time it is oh it's just after 11 oh we've, yeah, been, at, we've been at it for three hours wow yeah all right I, I didn't know if i would have the stamina for that because uh with the you know, my, my long thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you did because it was a good conversation. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do a round two. Um, I think there's some like um, kind of more like topic-based um, conversations worth having as opposed to just like a, you know, this is your life occult style. All right. Yeah. And, and, and boy, I was, I was a little scattershot tonight. I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, no, I like, I like how these conversations are, are just, are turning very organic and, and flowing and moving. And I'm really enjoying how that's coming about. Well, so, yeah, when you start talking about a thing and then boy, boy that makes you think of something else and you, yeah. it, they're fun threads to follow. So. Yeah, exactly. 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 So, okay, you know, since you since you mentioned it, uh, a, a, a second episode. We'll uh, I'll, I'll hold you to that. We'll definitely do a second episode, and um, yeah, and uh, and you'll hold me to my uh, trip to Indiana. Absolutely. Oh, we're we're gonna make that happen. We're absolutely gonna make that happen. So. Yes, yeah yeah so uh we'll take care of that so um uh you mentioned everywhere like where people to go to find you and whatnot um already but i'm just yep. i'm just going to mention that all of uh bob freeman's links are going to be in the show notes so you'll be able to um go to the show notes and directly to his blog which is excellent definitely worth the read uh follow him on twitter and instagram and and uh Facebook and um, uh, in the show notes is uh, my links. Uh, there's a link leilokanzawin.com slash links. That's the links to all of my social media for the Lux files for leilokanzawin. That'll get you to my online store, my YouTube channel. So all the information is there for you guys uh, in the show notes to uh, follow um, us two handsome fellows and uh Thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode of the Lux Files. And Bob, thank you again. Thank you so much for letting me um, uh, spend this time with you and uh, learning about your life. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Much love. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have a good night. And everyone, take care. Follow me. Follow Bob. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Good night, everyone.